All right there. So, we're back. I uh, hope you enjoyed the first episode. That was fun. I don't know what I'm getting at. Uh, but I will say... In other words, I'm going to take these fucking headphones off. I don't need them. Uh, I will say there was one thing that it occurred to me. Okay, so in the first episode, I was talking on and on about Mortal Kombat X, and I had a lot of conflicting feelings about Mortal Kombat X, right? I said it was my least favorite, but as you know, I talked about how much I enjoyed it and how many, you know, th- so on and so forth, right? Uh, it occurs to me. I wasn't... The phrase I was looking for wasn't bad or favorite. What I was looking for was forgettable. MKX is probably the most forgettable Mortal Kombat game ever. It wasn't as egregiously terrible as Deadly Alliance. It wasn't as phenomenal as MK9. It didn't have as much stuff going on as as MK11. It is not as great for tournaments and retro as UMK3. It's it, it didn't have the you know the freaking campaign of deception. It didn't have like it was just a good Mortal Kombat game, and that was it. Like I like Cassie Cage; she's one of my favorites. She's not like her being introduced wasn't a game changer. You know, if, if MK12 was announced and it didn't have Cassie Cage, I'd be like, oh darn, you know. She's not Scorpion. Kotal Khan sure as hell ain't Scorpion, you know? That's what that's what it was. Is MKX was the most, in my personal opinion, forgettable Mortal Kombat game. And again, I'm not saying that's that's not a comment on its quality. It was a really good game. But again, it wasn't as fantastic as MK9. It wasn't as egregiously god-awful as, say, 4 or uh, Deadly Alliance. I'd say either X or 4 are kind of, it's real close on forgettableness, but at the same time, 4 has that, it will always have that little prominence of being the first ever 3D Mortal Kombat game, which wasn't great, (laughs) that's not necessarily a great thing, but still it has that. So, as you can probably see by the title, today we're doing a broad history of Mortal Kombat. Basically, I'm going to be doing a breakdown of the entire Mortal Kombat franchise. From And I'm going to be doing both the behind-the-scenes and also the story. Uh, so it'll be like, you know, here's where it came from, here's the year it came out, and here's what was happening in the actual game, right? And you can be do those. I'm going to do background story, background story. And I want to remind you, because I, I, I've got like, how many pages? 18, 19 pages of notes on this. Alright? And there's still going to be a lot that I miss. Or that I just exclude, you know? Because I can only do so much. So there's going to be a lot, like I said, this is a broad history of Mortal Kombat. There's only so much we can fit into one video. I'm already anticipating this being like two hours long. So, that's what we're going to be doing today. Go ahead and sit back, relax, listen louder. That's my dad's thing. But, uh, welcome to... I don't think 
the first episode, I said where I got this little song from, right? Uh, this song is from... I got it on YouTube. It's from Meister Tracks. M-E-I-S-T-E-R Tracks. And it's the Mortal Kombat 2 theme HD remake. Uh, character select theme, right? And that shit's a banger, as you can tell. Uh, I reached out to him be like, hey, can I use this? And never got back to me. Uh, it also makes sense because that song came out seven years ago. And the last upload he had was two years ago. And he has a total of 11 videos. So I'm betting that he stopped participating in his hobby that was making remixes. But hey, Meester Tracks. Yeah, that's a banger of a fucking song. Thank you for letting me using it. And by thank you for letting me, I mean thank you for not telling me to not use it. Again, I reached out. Never heard back. So I take that as a thank you. Or not a thank you. Uh, permission. So yeah. M-E-I-S-T-E-R tracks. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2 theme HD remake. There you go. I have now given credit. I'll probably give it again in the future. So yeah, I've tried to get this whole thing off the ground for like eight months. And also in that time, I've learned that I'm not the only Mortal Kombat podcast out there. Which isn't that surprising. But at the same time, I looked it up and I was like, oh, Mortal Kombat podcast. And I saw one other one that was, uh, I think it was... 60 seconds of combat or something like that where basically they watch the original Mortal Kombat movie and they review every 60 seconds individually. It's a decent little podcast. But yeah, I was like, oh, cool. And then I found those like two or three other ones. I'm like, ah, well, fuck them. I'm, I'm not a Mortal Kombat podcast. I am a NetherRealm Studios podcast that happens to include Mortal Kombat. Take that. Now, this is the part where you say, hey, Mortal, the first, you know, 11 Mortal Kombat games aren't NetherRealm Studios. Those are Midway. And that's when I tell you to shut up. All right, so the story begins in 1989. This is the very, very beginning, as Ed Boon and John Tobias are both working at Midway Studios. Hey, we were just talking about them. Uh, Ed is currently working on a on pinball games, and John Tobias is working on a game called Smash TV. I don't remember if that ever actually came out. The two of them became friends, and one of the things they bonded over was their love of martial arts movies. Not surprising if you know Mortal Kombat. One day, they were talking, and and the idea of them making their own fighting game came up, and so they began brainstorming. The initial pitch, and obviously there's, in 1991, probably some little stuff that happened in the middle there, but don't worry about it. The initial pitch was to do a John-Claude Van Damme game. They had actually made a demo featuring the man himself. However, JCVD had a contract with Sega to do a game at the time, so license was denied. That game never came out. Ed Boon uh, has gone record saying, like, eh, I think that might have just his, been his way of very politely saying, no, thank you. However, given the wild success of the Street Fighter 2 had been experiencing at the time, Midway gave Ed and John the greenlight to go ahead and work on a fighting game. Shut the fuck up! There's a dog outside. So yeah, Street Fighter 2 had been tearing up at the time, so Midway was like, we need to get on this fighting game thing. You guys, you got a fighting game idea, right? Do it. So Midway at the time had hardware that lended itself really well to doing digitized graphics. This, plus the fact that they had wanted to greatly stand out from the rest of the competition, the super cartoony look of Street Fighter, led them to design the first couple games to look how they did with the digitized actors. Like if you're looking at the screen right at uh, the video version right now, you'll see Johnny, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Sonya. If you didn't know, those were actors in a studio who were did the moves, and were digitized. So that's pretty cool. 
The dynamic duo then called up a couple of their friends, got them dressed up, and began produ- the process of blue-screening them, doing various attacks and animations into- that would eventually become the Mortal Kombat. You know what? Remember I said, like, oh, man, I've got the, the kind of like the ADHD thing going on, and I keep jumping around? I went on about what I just said, and then my next note was, so then they had people come and do digitized graphics. I should read my notes closer. Or not have notes. I don't know. One of the two. During the early stages of production, according to Mr. Boone, the big seller for everyone in the office was the trademark uppercut that MK eventually became known for. Which, I mean, it's impa- it's pretty good uppercut, not gonna lie. Along the production line, Ed had something he wanted to add to the game based off of something from a Street Fighter 2. He noted that he both loved and hated the dizzy system that was in Street Fighter 2. How it was a great feeling if you were the one inflicting the dizzy, but it sucked if you were a person getting stuck and beaten on for free. It decided that instead of just having that dizzy state in the middle of the match, that instead, just give it to the winner of the match. Give them the chance to do something free to their opponent, and he thought, what if they could do something really special? The first fatality that they ever created in the game was Kano's Heart Rip, which was inspired by the martial arts movies that the two head honchers loved so much. Something else to note is, during production, they thought they would only have enough memory to make six playable characters, and Sonya Blade was not one of them. During the production, one of the characters that they had drafted up was an African-American man who worked for Special Forces by the name of Curtis Stryker. However, that idea was scrapped, and in addition, they found they had enough memory to do at least one more playable character, and decided that they wanted to put a female character in. So they took the Special Forces agent part of Curtis Stryker's design, and with that came the birth of Sonya Blade. So... What I'm getting from that is we can thank Chun-Li for Sonya Blade, which makes a lot of sense. Many of the characters in the game were based off of martial arts films as well as Japanese mythology, obviously. Johnny Cage was loosely based off of Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bloodsport, which... Yeah. Raiden, that, at that time was spelled with a Y, by the way. I don't, you ever notice that? That Raiden, nowadays, is R-A-I-D-E-N. But in the very first game, I think maybe the first two games, like originally, I don't remember... It was R-A-Y-D-E-N. Crazy. He was based off of a character from Big Trouble in Little China. Liu Kang was obviously Bruce Lee with long hair. Kano's face was inspired by the Terminator, which, that's pretty obvious. Uh, okay, I want done today. Oh, sorry, I just got a text from my landlord. Uh, my heat doesn't work, and it's been cold the last couple of days. Uh, one thing they decided they wanted to do, pretty much right off the bat, was include an element of the story to the game. Unlike Street Fighter, where, or a lot of other games at the time, to be honest. Where it was just like, go do the thing. Like, the plot in Street Fighter 2 at the time of release was... Green man beat up Chinese lady. That was that was the story, right? And even in, more, in you know Mario or other popular games at the time, it was just like, go go do the thing. Go save the princess from the big turtle man, you know? Next up, 1992. After some location testing, where in one instance the MK team received a call saying that their machine was broken, only for the problem to have been that it was so packed with quarters that it could no longer function. Mortal Kombat was released to the public and immediately became a smash hit. This game marked the debuts, the in-game debuts, obviously, of Johnny Cage, Liu Kang, Raiden, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Sonya Blade, Kano, Goro as a sub-boss, Shang Tsung as the main boss, and Reptile as a secret non-playable character. 
The story is, I, I spelled King, it's not King, is. The story of the first game is the part that everyone knows. If you've never played Mortal Kombat, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what the plot of the first story is. There's a big death tournament to, to decide the fate of the world. It's, we've lost, uh, Earthrealm has lost nine death tournaments in a row, or Mortal Kombat tournaments in a row. If they lose this one, then Earth is doomed to become one with the Outworld. That's, and that's where Liu Kang comes in, as he is the canonical winner of the tournament, having killed Goro and defeated Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat, allegedly keeping Earthrealm safe from any kind of Outworld threat for the next hundred years. Note that I say allegedly. Now here's some other uh, other important things about the story because these will be important later. Scorpion and his ninja clan, the Shirai Ryu, were murdered by the Lin Kuei and, most importantly, the Bihan version of Sub-Zero. In the story, it is said that Scorpion kills the Bihan version of Sub-Zero, and you'll understand why I'm saying Bihan version later. Uh, from beyond the grave, because Scorpion is like a demon man. Uh, Sonya Blade hates Kano because Kano murdered her uh, special forces partner. Kano is the head of a band of bad people called the Black Dragon. They're mercenaries, arms dealers, basically just every version of a bad thing. Raiden is an is a god, the protector of Earthrealm, and the mentor to Liu Kang. Johnny Cage is a movie star who is at the tournament to prove that he's a true badass and not just a glorified stuntman. Goro is a Shokan. A race of four-armed monster people. So, quick addendum slash retraction. In MK1, Goro was not technically called a Shokan. He was referred to as a half-man, half-dragon. Not the Shokan and Shokan race and Shokan prince thing had not been established yet. That would not be established until the next game in MK2, I believe. There's going to be a couple of those instances where I... You know, I'm like, oh, in Mortal Kombat 3, blah, blah, blah. Or Mortal Kombat 2, Baraka is a Tarkatan. He is a Tarkatan. But at the time of MK2's release, he was referred to as a half-demon, half-human. Do you get what I'm saying? So they like to not establish right away people's backstories and origins. Like, if this wasn't a broad history of Mortal Kombat, if this was a very specific and detailed history of Mortal Kombat... Half the episode would be about, okay, so this was the original time, uh, the original description for them, and then this was the secondary description for them, and this is the current description of them, but then there's still a little bit of this one from this one, and blah, 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 right? So yeah, I just want to throw in that quick little addendum to anybody who's like, he said Baraka was a Tarkatan in MK2, but he wasn't a Tarkatan in MK2, he wasn't a Tarkatan until MK4. In MK2, he was just uh, half man, half demon. I know, I'm just... Putting that denim out there, right? So, anyway, continuing on. And Shang Tsung is a shape-shifting sorcerer who steals souls. That's a lot of S's. So I think that's all the important information that you didn't get from the main story. Next up, 1993. After the immense arcade success, Acclaim got the contract to make the home ports of Mortal Kombat. Midway set an advertising budget of $10 million, which is over $18 million in modern-day money, uh, for this home port. Ed Boon was brought the office and told this by his Midway employers, and he himself said, Are you sure you want to spend that much? Despite loving the game and it being his baby and very happy with all the success and all that, he was still pretty trepidatious. However, his trepidation was misplaced, 
as the Mortal Kombat home unit or home game sold six million copies across the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. However, as everyone, as most people know, Nintendo had greatly neutered the game, uh, turning blood into sweat and greatly changing or straight up removing fatalities. Kano's heart rip just kind of became a weird chest grope where he looked at his hand all happy. Uh, pretty sure Sub-Zero's head rip was just a punch in the face. And just so many of the moves were just completely ruined. Whereas in the Sega Genesis version, there was a special code you could put in to get the blood. And that was cool. So, in April, in, in April of that year, 1993, Mortal Kombat 2 came out in arcades. And it was an even bigger hit than Mortal Kombat 1. This game marked the debuts of Kung Lao, Melina, Kitana, Baraka, the former Curtis Striker, Jackson Briggs, the playable debut of Kintaro, uh, not Kintaro, the playable debut of Shang Tsung, Kintaro as the sub-boss, Shao Kahn as the main boss, and Jade, Smoke, and Noob Saibot, all as secret characters. Mortal Kombat has always loved their secrets. MK2 was the first game to debut Friendships, which was a direct, kind of backhanded response to all the violence controversy at the time. And that's a whole nother video. Well, not quite. I'm going to talk about it a little bit here. While MK2 was a wild success, it combined with the home ports sparked public controversy, fearing that Mortal Kombat, along a few other controversial games at the time, were poisoning the minds of American youth. Yeah, this is where that started, for the most part. On December 7th, 1993, members of the combined United States Senate held congressional hearings in several spokespersons with several spokespersons for companies in the video games industry, including Nintendo and Sega, involving violence in video games and the perceived impacts on children. This whole subject, like I said, very deep and involved. Gonna be a lot more deeply covered in the future. These hearings led to the creation of the IDSA, which would become the ESRB, Entertainment Software Ratings Board. And despite some misconception, unfortunately, Mortal Kombat was not the first game to ever receive the M for Mature rating. That went to the SNES port of Doom. But it's probably safe to say that without Mortal Kombat, this might not have happened, or at least it would have happened a lot later. Personally, Ed Boon was somewhat outspoken about this whole thing, agreeing that there should be a rating system the same as there is with movies, and that Mortal Kombat was never intended for small children. We'll get to that in a minute. So the story of this game is when it gets a little... is Well, this one's definitely a lot more complicated than the first one. Shang Tsung is going to be executed by Shao Kahn, who is his emperor... Because he failed to win the Mortal Kombat tournament and win Shao Kahn his kingdom that he so rightfully deserves. However, Shang came up with a, with a plan that would allow Shao Kahn to potentially merge the realms. One more tournament. One to end all tournaments. Shao Kahn likes this idea so much that he blesses Shang Tsung with his youth in order for him, to allow him to put it in action. Shang goes to Raiden with his proposition, which Raiden, after some thought, accepts, because Raiden is also super into the idea of not having a tournament anymore and just being able to have Outworld fuck off. 
With this, they get the sign-off of the Elder Gods, who are like the big controlling force in the series, and they engage in another tournament. This, however, despite you know Shang Tsung's attempts, does not go that much different than the first time. Lang Hung kicks it. Lang Hung. Liu Kang kicks Ash, chews bubblegum, and wins the tournament, ending with the defeat of Shao Kahn. Earthrealm is safe forever from Outworld this time. Right? Other important things. So Melina is a clone of Katana, created by Shang Tsung at the behest of Shao Kahn. She's a mix between Katana and Atar Cotton, hence her disgusting mandible face. Uh, what's Atar Cotton? Baraka is a Tarkatan, you know, the demon man with the arm blades. Uh, and the Tarkatans are like a whole race of people. Uh, Melina doesn't have the arm blades because. Uh, Kintaro, oh, also Katana is the adopted daughter of Shao Kahn. Kintaro is also a Shokan like Goro, but he is a tiger Shokan, which are apparently considered the weaker bloodline of the Shokan race, who are dragon people. I don't get it either, whatever. MK2 is the debut of the Kwai Liang version of Sub-Zero, who was the younger brother of the Bihan version of Sub-Zero. And also, Bihan became Noob Saibot. Also, Shao Kahn isn't really a human. He looks like a human, but what he really is kind of fluctuates depending on what game we're talking about. There's one game where he was a half... Tarkatan, half-human. One was half-demon, half-human. One was half-dragon, half-human. He's he's something. I'm sure at some point, because they love doing this, I'm sure at some point we will discover there is a whole race of Shao Kahn people, right? Because they love doing that. Like, Baraka has a race. Reptile has a race. Goro has a race. Everybody who's like, oh, look at this cool person. They're a race. Or a group or something. Anyway, so those are the other important things of the story. Uh, Again, might be messing some things. Again, broad history, broad history. 1995. In April of 1995 was the first release. The first release? Whatever. Was the release of Mortal Kombat 3. And in mid-August was the first ever Mortal Kombat movie. We'll start with the movie. It had a production budget of $20 million and it grossed approximately $70 million in the US, U.S. and an estimated $122 million worldwide, and to this day is revered as probably the best video game movie of all time, even by people in the video game community who don't particularly care for Mortal Kombat. The 1995 Mortal Kombat movie was the debut of the iconic Mortal Kombat theme that was done by the Immortals. Uh, there's much more to be said and discussed about the movie. That can be saved for another time. The story of the movie is basically just that of the first game. You know, big death tournament. We've lost nine. Need to win this one. Liu Kang is the champion. So on and so forth. It's a great movie. If you haven't watched it, you should. Now, Mortal Kombat 3 had a much less spectacular launch than the movie did. Even though it was before, but whatever. They had changed up how the game played and felt, adding a run button, changing how combos worked, making them more complicated, harder to remember as well as a few other little things. Mortal Kombat fans weren't exactly happy about these changes. This game was the one that marked the debuts of the real Curtis Striker, Nightwolf, Sector, Cyrax, Shiva, Cabal, Sindel, and the playable debuts of Smoke, uh, Cybersmoke. Did I write that down in the last one? Just let me check something. 
Do, 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 do. Okay, I did. Okay. I, remember if I, I didn't remember if I mentioned that Smoke was a secret character in Mortal Kombat 2. So yeah, you can now play as Smoke as Cyber Smoke. And Noob Cybot, playable debut of Noob Cybot, which, if you don't know, Noob Cybot is the, whatever, backward spelling of Boone Tobias. Because the granddaddies of the series, Ed Boone and John Tobias. And Motaro was a sub-boss, a big centaur man, or minotaur man who was part of a mentor race, with the final boss once again being Shao Kahn. One thing that people really missed about this game was that there was no secret characters like there had been the previous two games, like Reptile or Jade or Smoke or whoever. Also, this installment was missing two fan favorites that weren't even on the roster at all. Scorpion and Johnny Cage. In the story, Johnny had been killed by Motaro, leader of one of Shao Kahn's death squads, hence his exclusion. The ending of the game also marked the official de- the official defeat of Shao Kahn, official in quotes, and his attempts to merge the realms. Kind of. They, with the return of friendships in this game, in addition to the fatalities, they also introduced animalities, which were widely considered one of the dumbest things ever put into an MK game, and babalities, which were received more positively for their comedic essence. Mortal Kombat 3 was also the first game to ever introduce combat codes, which we put on the versus screen by players in order to augment slash change the match, or in some cases, like, go to certain stages, so on and so forth. The story of this game, in this game, the story is that Shao Kahn has a 10,000-year-old loophole that he decides to exploit so he can invade the realms. For this, he uses his shadow priests to resurrect his dead wife and mother of Katana, Sendel. However, she would not be revived in Outworld, where she died, but in Earthrealm. This would allow Shao Kahn to cross the boundary lines and and reclaim his queen. When Sindel is reincarnated in Earthrealm, Shao Kahn reaches across the dimensions to reclaim her, and as a result, Earthrealm gradually becomes part of Outworld, and billions of people have their souls stripped away. Yeah, it's not surprising that they retconned this in future continuity. But, you know the drill. You, Liu Kang and friends, except for Johnny, have to kick out World's ass, ending with Liu, allegedly, killing Shao Kahn. And once Shao Kahn is dead, all the souls are stripped away or restored to their respective humans, and the realms are not merged. Uh, other important facts. Cabal. He's a super fast, disfigured dude who is a former member of the Black Dragon. No, they never explain. Never, ever. Not one single time, to my knowledge, ever in the lore, do they ever explain why Cabal's so fast. Some say it's like the gas in his mask, but then there's other, like in MK, skipping forward a little bit, in the future, it's just, you know, he's just fast. Some people say maybe it's his backpack. I don't know. Maybe it's the backpack. But yeah, he's a super fast Flash man because Ed Boon, his favorite DC character, I think his favorite superhero period is the Flash. And so he was like, I want to put the Flash in my game. So he made Murder Flash, which is Cabal. And Sector and Cyrax are Cyber Lin Kuei ninjas. As part of the Cyber Initiative put forth by the Lin Kuei Grandmaster to make the perfect, obedient, and near-indestructible assassin-slash-soldiers being the Lin Kuei. They forced Smoke into this as well, hence his cyber form, and Sub-Zero, in refusing to do it, has become... whatever, he left the Lin Kuei, and they're trying to hunt him down. Also, 
in this year, the year of 1995, they did a run of fucking Mortal Kombat stage plays. Not joking. Mortal Kombat live tour. It was a, quote, 200-city road trip, although I can't find listings for 200 performances, from late 1995 to early 96. They're amazing. (laughs) But not amazing like a good way. Amazing in like... This is terrible. Hey, look them up. They're just, just if you Mortal Kombat live tour, nineteen ninety five. Look it up if you really want to know more about it. Uh, nineteen ninety six Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, the animated Mortal Kombat series, debuted on television as well as Ultimate Mortal Kombat three, the only revamp in Mortal Kombat history, and lastly they released Mortal Kombat trilogy. So, UMK3, or Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, was their answer to the feedback they received from Mortal Kombat 3. As the only game in NK history to ever get a version 2, you can imagine that the feedback was strong and plentiful. They changed the running, they fixed up the combos, they added multiple new modes, including a 2v2 and a master difficulty, added a bunch of new and old characters, and overall changed the game for the better. To this day, being... Early, uh, I, holy shit, I wrote this in early 2021. It's currently... The last day of September right now, 2021. So, like I said, like a while from trying to get this figured out. Um, to this day, being early 2021, many members of the fighting game community consider UMK3 to be the best Mortal Kombat game in the series. And response from the games, uh, the response from the fans back then was infinitely more positive for Ultimate over the originals. Original singular. This game marked the debuts of Ermac, who had been a rumored fake character for a while, Rain, who was a hoax put forth by Ed Boon himself in honor of Prince, because he's a purple ninja named Rain, and he is a prince in Adenia, ah, 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 and the playable debut of Ninja Smoke. This was also the debut of Jax's iconic cybernetic arms, and contained both the classic Bihan and the scarred Kwai Liang, versions of Sub-Zero, who are two different characters. Uh, the UMK3 plot was literally the exact same one as MK3. Now, Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, the animated series. The show debuted on the USA Network from September 21st to December 14th of this year. Due to the toned-down nature of the material, even compared to the movie, as well as the marketing towards younger kids, which was strange given the ESRB rating controversy and its history, the show was canceled after one season. Yeah, Mortal Kombat, they were really trying to play both sides of the fence on that whole thing. It's like, no, no, Mortal Kombat's not for kids. Mortal Kombat's meant for, like, teenagers and adults. Now, teenagers and adults, watch this Saturday morning cartoon we made for you. Wink. I don't even know if it was that coy, but still, it's like, you you have the thing, it's like, oh, what, no... We, we never intended for children to play this. This was supposed to be for teenagers. And then you put out an animated children's show. Even if it was like severely toned down still. Uh, the show was deb- this show was actually the debut of da, 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 Quan Chi. One of the only new characters to, to come from the show and make it into an MK game. And actually many MK games. Quan Chi is awesome. Nowadays it has a little bit of a cult following in the Immortal Kombat community. And I'm going to, at some point, do a full review of the series. So, look forward to that in the future. So, Mortal Kombat Trilogy. The last game 
to be released in 19, or last thing to be released in 1996. And this was the cherry on top of the 2D era of Mortal Kombat. Taking every single character from the old games, including one new one, which was Chameleon, which this was the debut of Chameleon. This was also the, de- the playable debut of Kentaro, Goro, and Shao Kahn, or debuts. Mortal Kombat Trilogy was the first game to introduce the concept of brutalities. While they've become somewhat of a staple in the modern games, they were seriously different back then. Also, Trilogy introduced the aggressor meter, which while seem- seeming like a good idea, was not received super well by players and was retired after only this game. And... This was the first, Mortal Kombat Trilogy was the first MK game to never be released in arcades. So, yeah. Now, Mortal Kombat 1997 was a big and uh, not particularly great year for Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat put up two games. There was Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero and Mortal Kombat 4, as well as the debut of Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the sequel to the Mortal Kombat movie. Mythologies was the first one to come out in August, and was MK's first departure from the world of 1v1 fighting games. While still using many of the assets and controls of UMK3, it was a side-scrolling adventure puzzle game with the same combat system as the original Mortal Kombat games. It was honestly a truly innovative idea. It was a prequel to the first Mortal Kombat game featuring Bihan, who is the original Sub-Zero, incorporated uh, live-action FMV cutscenes on the PlayStation 1 version, at least. On the N64 version, it was just screenshots. And had branching paths with different cutscenes and variations of events, depending on your actions. This was the first time someone had tried to do a spin-off of this kind, to my knowledge. This game marked the debuts of Shinnok, Fujin, and Serena, as well as some other minor characters. And this was the first game that Quan Chi was ever in. While the game performed well at the time, just in sales, the controls were impressively terrible, combat was difficult in large part of the controls, platforming was hard and tedious, and many situations required absurd, absurd, how the fuck was I supposed to figure that out, levels of problem solving. So it was panned critically and considered the second worst Mortal Kombat game in the series. And no, MK3 is not number one. We'll get there. Mortal Kombat 4 came out a few weeks after Mythologies did, being the last MK game to be designed for arcades, as well as the first one to ever enter the realm of 3D fighters. To promote the game, they did the Mortal Kombat 4 Road Tour, where they would take around an MK4 branded truck, along with some arcade cabinets, and they would show it off in several different towns. This, like several other things in this episode, will be expanded upon further in future installments, so I have a feeling that that MK4 Road Tour would probably be is probably pretty interesting. Mortal Kombat 4 performed very well financially, however it received very mixed reviews. It was at this point that the hardcore Mortal Kombat fangase fangase yeah the hardcore Mortal Kombat fan base began to lose interest. This game marked the debut of Kai, Reiko, Jarek, Tanya, as well as the playable debuts of Quan Chi Fujin and Shinnok, and the debut of a secret character, Meat. I'm going to tell you right now, that was the most underwhelming set of new characters ever. Tanya's alright, Quan Chi's obviously awesome, Fujin's cool, the rest... Eh. 
Reiko's one of those characters where he's cooler in people's minds than he ever was in the actual games. So, the story of this game. Shao Kahn has finally been defeated. But now, everyone's favorite, the fallen elder god Shinnok has escaped from his unearthly prison. Thanks to the help of a race trader, Tanya, he was able to capture the realm of Adenia. And now the defenders of Earthrealm must join together and defeat him, including Johnny Cage! Now, why is Johnny Cage alive, despite his explicitly having been deadness from MK3? So basically, because they wanted him in the game. The story answer is, with Shinnok's return, the line between life and death was blurred and the realms were all thrown out of whack. Johnny Cage and Johnny, quote, with the heavens in disarray, he learns of the war wage. Oh, Johnny Cage got to go to heaven. That's nice. With the heavens in disarray, he learns of the war waged against the Elder Gods by Shinnok. Uh, Cage seeks out Raiden to help him restore his deceased soul so he can come back to life. Yes, this is the only time in the series that Raiden was able to assist the soul of a dead character in coming back to life. Despite, despite, despite approximately 15 other times where he would have wanted to do that. Don't think too hard on it. Johnny Cage is back. Be happy. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. This sequel to the first beloved MK movie was shrouded in problems in every way. Barely any of the cast returned. Only the actors for Liu Kang, who was pretty solid, and the actress for Katana, who was there, returned. Nobody else from the original cast of the, like, you know, Johnny, Sonya, none of them returned. Partially over uh, monetary disputes, partially over, this shit sucks. Like, I remember the actor who said, who played Johnny Cage was like, yeah, they I was supposed to get a raise for the sequel, and they said no, so I said no. And the actor who played Raiden, whose name escapes me right now, he says like, "Oh man, I I I've got this other commitment right now. It's I'm, I would if I could, I would love to, but I can't. I'm sorry." But you know, he said several years later, it's like, "Yeah, I read the script, and I was like, oh, this is not good." So I was like, "No thanks." It had many production woes, changed the story in many very poor ways, and it was just a mess. Annihilation, this movie, Annihilation, had a budget of thirty million. Engrossed about thirty-five million domestically and about fifty-one million internationally. An absolute far cry from the success of the original, but still not a total flop financially. Mortal Kombat Annihilation was panned by critics and fans alike, universally hated, and currently has a two percent on Rotten Tomatoes with a twenty-five percent audience score. The movie of the story was pretty terrible, as you would expect from everything I've told you so far. It picks up immediately after the events of the first one, but after the first movie, but does not follow the story of the second game like the mo- the first movie followed the story of the first game. So Shao Kahn just kind of shows up with characters from Mortal Kombat 2 and 3 and is like, guess what, fuckers? In a week, this realm is mine! Why didn't he just do that in the first place, you ask? No real reason. And then he kills Johnny Cage. Uh, throughout the story, Liu Kang has to do another trial of the spirit, where his trials include not having sex with Jade. And that's it, pretty much. Uh, that's that's the trial of spirit, which, to be fair, it is Jade. But also, to be fair, Jade in the movie is not even close to what she is in the game. Uh, during also the story, it's, in, it's revealed that Raiden and Shao Kahn are brothers, and they're both the children of Shinnok. 
and both of these facts were made up for the movie. Over the, overall, the movie can be entertaining as an in, in an ironic and schlocky way, whereas the first Mortal Kombat movie was just good, with no caveats or asterisks. If you enjoy Mortal Kombat and it's so bad it's kind of good movies, I'd say give Annihilation a watch. But overall, 1997 was not a good year for Mortal Kombat's image. Moving on to 1999, John Tobias, one of the granddaddies of Mortal Kombat, leaves Midway in pursuit of creative freedom. Fueled by a smidge of frustration coming from upper, upper management, mostly regarding Mortal Kombat Special Forces. Which, year 2000, Jackson Briggs' big singles game, Mortal Kombat Forces debuts. It was shipped to stores with no mentionable amount of advertising. It was released at the bargain bin price of $20. It was a commercial and critical and fan flop. And it was such a troubled development, it is shocking that it came out in the first place. In the original pitch, you were supposed to be able to play as both Sonya Blade and Jax. But after some development snafus and budget cuts and other stuff, they cut it back to just being the metal-armed man himself. The story revolved around Jax facing off against the Black Dragon, headed by Kano, and most of that was all cut. Cabal was in it, but he wasn't burned and disfigured. But also, Jax had a cybernetic arms. When did this take place in the timeline? Who frickin' knows? Who frickin' cares? Pretty positive it's not canon nowadays anyway. This game marked the debuts of... No-Face, Tajia, Tremor, and Gemini. If you only know Tremor, I understand. If you don't know any of them, I also understand. The only one of these characters would... Okay, I okay, I wrote this all fucky. Okay, I'm going to read this exactly how I wrote it. The only one of these characters would ever return in another MK game, and that would be Tremor. Yeah, I could have written that better. However, No Face and I think Gemini have would make minor barely visible cameos in MK11 in the descriptions of tower consumables. I will say no faces have a pretty good one where it's just a flamethrower that shoots halfway across the stream and a stream screen and hits your opponent's awesome. Basically between UMK3 and now the fans had gotten tired. Mortal Kombat just wasn't what it used to be and a lot of the people that loved it they're starting to get bored. But then 2002 is the release of Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance. In the opening cutscene, Shang Tsung and Quan, it is shown that Shang Tsung and Quan Chi have teamed up. And they go after Shao Kahn. And the two of them, they kill Shao Kahn. And then they kill Liu Kang. To kick off a new era of Mortal Kombat. Leaving the old hero and the old villain behind. This was the intent, at least. This was the first Mortal Kombat mode to feature a conquest mode for Mortal Kombat game. Ah, fucking hell. I suck. This was the first Mortal Kombat game to feature conquest mode, which was like a story mode separate from the arcade towers. It was not quite what we've become accustomed to, but at the time, it was quite interesting. Got it. Nailed it. Boom. Cut, paste, roll the tape. Deadly Alliance was critically praised, sold fairly well, and it pulled the Mortal Kombat name back from the dregs it had found himself in after the last few media releases had failed to impress. 
This was also the first MK game to feature the variant system, where each character, save a couple special ones, would have multiple different fighting styles, including one where you would have your own special weapon that you could switch to or switch between mid-match. You could even do combos where you would go from style to style to style, called style switch combos. And those were pain in the ass. This game marked the debuts of <gasps> Boraicho, Lee Mei, Kenshi, Mavado, Natara, Dramen, Frost, Suhao, Mocap, Blaze, and Moloch as unplayable subboss. Mocap and Blaze were secret characters. This is the most new characters ever introduced in a single entry of Mortal Kombat, topping off at 11, and is still unbeaten to this day, not accounting for guest characters. I believe with Mortal Kombat 11, it would beat that. Mortal Kombat X or 11 would beat that or get close if you counted guest characters, but I'm talking Mortal Kombat characters. Uh, Blaze was originally in the back, was a background character in Mortal Kombat 2. You could see him on a different, on a bridge in the background on the stage, The Pit. However, I still count him because it was the first time he ever had any kind of interactable presence in the series. Like, he wasn't just background dressing. Also, Su Hao is considered the single worst character in Mortal Kombat history, according to the vast majority of hardcore MK fans. And the other contender for the single worst Mortal Kombat character in history, from casual fans, people who aren't in the nitty-gritty, is Bo Raicho. So congratulations, Deadly Alliance. In one game, you had the two you debuted the two least popular characters ever. So, after that immense success, which was Deadly Alliance, 2004, Mortal Kombat Deception. It did even better than Deadly Alliance, being the fastest-selling Midway game in history. Not just Mortal Kombat, fastest-selling game in the history of the company of Midway. Fans loved the mixing of the third-person adventure, the mixing in of the third-person adventure, that still did not affect the integrity of the core fighting game. Which I agree with. I love the the story mode in Deception. It's great. Uh, Deception also had uh, puzzle combat and chess combat and was the first fe- game to feature its own proper story mode where it had narrative and cutscenes and characters that you would talk to. Whereas the conquest mode in Deadly Alliance was basically just a glorified, arca- a glorified tutorial in the shape of an arcade mode. But it was still it was still different. But it was still good. But yeah, it was the first to feature a proper story mode. Where separate from the arcade mode, where you would take the role of a new hero, Shujinko, on a third-person adventure taking place in the 1v1 style of the game. Well, fights taking place in the 1v1 style of the game. This was also the first uh, game where the main character of the story was not someone from the arcade era. That's an interesting little thing for you. This game marked the debuts of Havoc, Noob Smoke, the combination of Noob Saibot and Smoke, Shujinko, Hotaru, Ashra, Dairu, Cobra, Darius, Kira, the Dragon King Onaga as an unplayable boss, as well as the return of Liu Kang as Zombie Liu Kang, who would now wield hook chains like Kratos, that does his little hand blades. These new character additions were generally looked upon more favorably than the ones from Deadly Alliance. The, and as I said, this was the first... <sighs> Alright, and cut, I guess. 
out of there. What's up? Hey there, gamers and gamettes. So it has been six fucking hours since I, uh, no, six and a half fucking hours since I stopped recording. Uh, what was supposed to just be, what turned into a, oh yeah, we had this problem last year. We'll send someone out there to get it fixed up real quick. Uh, turned into six and a half hours of, I don't know what's going on, says the mechanic. Or not the mechanic, the HVAC guy. Whatever. So, yeah, I'm a little pissy now. Because six and a half fucking hours. Six and a half fucking hours have gone by. And we are an hour into this video, this podcast, whatever, and only halfway through. So let me find where I was. Oh, so I drove my computer because he had to flip all the switches. He had to flip all the breakers to check everything. He had to pull up the carpet to look for a connection. In the end, he figured out that one of the connections that he had checked earlier was the right one. It was just disconnected. So he had to fix that. And then he had to pull up the carpet to look for wires. I think I already said that. I don't remember. And then eventually he had to replace the entire fucking thermostat. And this is why I say that renting is underrated. Because, like, yeah, there's plenty of problems with the market and all that. You got a shitty landlord. But at the same time, I don't have to pay a guy to come in here for six and a half fucking hours to be like, oh, man, I don't know what the hell's wrong, and then replace the thermostat. <sighs> so I got myself a Mountain Dew Kickstart orange citrus, which is the best flavor and anytime I go to the store and I see they have like 400 fucking cans of fruit punch on the shelf and not one can of orange, I'm like, why are you bothering with making the fruit punch? Mountain Dew Kickstart specifically, if you want to sponsor me, freaking put me up. I got some ad space up there in the top left-hand corner of the screen. Fucking slap a Kickstart logo right there. You know what's even best part about Kickstarts? I've got a, how many answers this? 16-ounce can. You know, you know how much sugar's in this thing? 20 grams of sugar in this 16-ounce can. There's like 42 fucking grams of sugar in a freaking 10-ounce can of Coke. I could drink five of these and have as much sugar as a standard can of Coke. So this, I barely even consider it sugar. It's just like a... Or sugar. Barely even consider it soda. It's more like a fucking juicy drink. I know I'm, I know I'm lying to myself, but it has literally a third of the sugar of a regular soda... That is four to six ounces less. I don't remember how big, how many ounces a standard can is either. It's either ten or, it's either ten or twelve. But the point is, I get more drink and less than a third of the sugar, or about a third of the sugar, or maybe half the sugar, whatever. Point is, I get more soda or more drink. Yeah, fuck it, soda. I get more soda for less sugar, and it's better. It tastes better. I prefer this over Coke. Been drinking this shit since I was like fucking. 14, 13, 15, I don't remember. When, they, when I remember when they first came out with it, because there was like a display at my local Dollar General. Like Back where I used to work, there was a Dollar General literally like 30 seconds walk away from where we were. We weren't like next door, but it was like kind of like across this little tiny field. And I would go over there every morning. I would, I would go to work, unlock everything, turn everything on. While everything was booting up, my computer and all that, because I did computer work. I'd walk over there, 
give myself a kickstart and maybe like a breakfast sandwich or something, like one of those little frozen ones you pop in the microwave. But I would get a kickstart. I remember the I was originally getting like the those monsters, like the white monsters. But as I've gotten older, I realized that those things are like battery acid. Like the white one tastes like battery acid, and the orange one, which was my favorite one for a while there. So I, I, heard, I thought I heard something breaking in. We're good. The orange one, it tastes okay, but it's like you drink it, and it's like it's just destroying your lips. It's like drinking bleach in terms of like every time I've drank, and ever since I like started thinking about it, or like ever since ever since I noticed it, rather, whenever I drink a mon- like a monster, I got monster zero because I I try I'm, I'm trying to cut down on my sugar because I'm a fat bastard, and, you know. I have a weak will, so like I can't completely cut that shit out. So that's why I get like this shit because it's twenty grams for this big ass can, whereas like a fucking I think one Twinkie is like fucking thirty grams, you know. So I can have more. Ah, whatever. The point is. I used to be a big fan of the Monster Zeros. I, I never liked the regular monsters, you know? Like the ones in the black can, like the green. I never liked the green shit. But I did like the Zeros. But those things are like, it's just like they destroy your lips, and the white one tastes like battery acid. And I remember when they came out with the Kickstart, because I went over there, and I, because I, I've always loved like a Mountain Dew fan, because I'm like, I'm a gamer. I like Mountain Dew. I got my gamer fuel, my Doritos. Uh, I was always a Mountain Dew fan. And I was like, "Ooh, Mountain Dew Kickstart! What's that all about?" It's like an energy drink, but it's Mountain Dew, huh? Funky. I've been hooked ever since. Love this shit. So Mountain Dew, specifically Kickstart. If regular Mountain Dew contacts me, I will ignore you. I will not answer your calls. Kickstart division specifically, and not none of that fruit punch, cherry, pineapple bullshit. Orange citrus. Uh, those ones are fine. Those ones are fine. But the Mountain Dew Kickstart Orange Citrus is the nectar of the gods. Anyway, so the Mortal Kombat lore, right? The, a broad history of Mortal Kombat. We left off at the debuts of the Deception characters, which was Havoc, Noob Smoke, uh, who was a combination of Noob Saibot and Smoke, Shujinko, Hotaru, Ashra, Dairu, Cobra, Darius, Kira, the Dragon King Onaga as an unplayable boss, as well as the return of Liu Kang as Zombie Liu Kang. These characters were looked upon more favorably than the other ones, or than Deadly Alliance. So, the story of Deception, right? This one is definitely the most, not the most, but much more involved than we got before. There's the first game, uh, it's a lot more deep and ex- better expressed with more than just... It's a lot more deep and better expressed than just opening cutscenes and snippets of canon from various arcade endings, right? Because that's where half of all canon comes from in ooh, not just Mortal Kombat, most fighting games. is like, okay, this, you know, freaking Akuma won the street uh, won the Street Fighter tournament, which isn't canon. Ryu won the Street Fighter tournament. But the fact that Akuma goes around beating up jaguars in his spare time is what well, you have to say. So in this game, you take control of Shuchinko, for, uh, which any of you Japanese speakers out there, yes. That directly translates to protagonist or hero. And you follow him throughout his life from the time he is a young whippersnapper being trained by Boracho to the time he is an old man. Throughout the story, you explore various rel- the various realms of the Mortal Kombat lore, 
Earth realm, outer, uh, outworld, nether realm, Adenia, etc., etc. Searching for the six kami dogu after being uh, commissioned, or what's the phrase? Whatever. After being asked to by quote an emissary of the elder gods named Damashi. You go throughout all the realms, learning how to fight and dedicating your life to finding the Kamidogu. In the end, you in the end you collect all of them and place them on an altar, only for it to turn out that Damashi never existed. The Kamidogu were never for the Elder Gods, and in fact, the one who wanted them was the Dragon King Onaga. He's the ba- he's the bad guy of the story. Don't worry. He killed Raiden, Shang Tsung, and Quan Chi in the opening cinematic of the game, uh, presumably after you got the Kamidogu for him. It's one of those little. It's like it's it's like uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, where you see the end of the game, you see the end of the story when you turn on the game, and then you play the rest of it. So, uh, and you think, oh man, so Shujinko must like kick his ass or whatever, right? You know that, you know that's how you know w- what happens next after you were tricked into collecting these things and then he kills the he- the not the heroes but like the some of the most powerful characters in the series what happens next uh yeah shujinko does tai chi and he's like oh man shit's fucked i need to he has what he needs to he has all the kamidogu so that he can now take over all the realms uh but he needs to figure out how to do it for, do it first and uh, i need to figure out a way to keep him from doing it Roll credits. Out with a whimper on what I consider to be a pretty fun game. A uh, pretty fun story as well. Uh, th- and there's like, obviously like I'm saying that that's just the, a very brief synopsis of what it is. There's so much more to the kit. Again, I've always, uh, no, I've always said, but like, if you enjoy Mortal Kombat and you can get your hands on a PlayStation 2 or an Xbox... I would say play Mortal Kombat Deception. Like, okay, even if you don't necessarily like the way the game plays or whatever, just play the Conquest mode. Just play the Conquest mode, because the Conquest mode is a fucking good time. So, anybody's saying, that can't possibly be the ending. Well, uh, afterwards, Shujinko's arcade ending is canon. Which, that actually makes sense. So, Shujinko's arcade ending, after everything I just told you, is Shujinko destroys all of the Kamidogu... And that weakens Onaga and allows, uh, as Shujinko lands the final blow, Onaga's soul is forced from Reptile's body and he is dragged into the Netherrealm, where he is bound by Nightwolf. By the way, Onaga came back to life by putting his soul into Reptile, that's why Reptile isn't in Deception. He remained there for a long time until discovered by Shinnok, who is also alive, even though he's supposed to have died in four. Anyway. Man, I'm just fucking annoyed. Fucking six and a half fucking hours. Uh, yeah, okay. So the answer is everything I just said. 2005, Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks. This is their third and possibly final attempt at a spinoff to leave, to, to take Mortal Kombat out of the realm of just fighting games into other worlds. And it fucking worked. While not stated officially, this was likely the last chance that they would be given by their the Mortal Kombat team would be given by their overlords to make a non-fighting game spin-off of Mortal Kombat after the abject failures of mythologies and special forces. Thankfully, this game was indeed a success. 
sold pretty well, was reviewed highly, and is, to this day, held up as one of the best Mortal Kombat games overall by the community. People all the time want a Shaolin Monks remaster, remake, sequel, something. In the game, you take the roles of Liu Kang and Kung Lao. Mere moments after the conclusion of the first Mortal Kombat tournament that was indeed won by Liu Kang. The audience enjoyed the third-person co-op, beat-em-up action. I spelled co-op with a K, by the way. And it was considered considered quite unique at the time. What made people love it even more was the ability to unlock the yin and yang themselves, Sub-Zero and Scorpion, as playable characters. While this game did not introduce any new characters, it did introduce a ton of new and improved looks and backstories into many of the existing ones. Chock full of secrets, boss battles, and adventure... People to this day still call for NetherRealm to publish a sequel or a remake, and I'm one of them, like I said a minute ago. This is why I should look at my notes a little more closely, because I tend to cover most of this shit. Uh, and the story is basically just a spin-off of the events of post-MK1 through MK2. It's, you know, you, you beat the Mortal Kombat 1 tournament, they want a second chance, they attack Earthrealm to, you know, do shit, they invoke the second, they convince Raiden to do the second tournament, Ra da ra da ra. Shang Tsung was secretly raiding. Stuff happens, you know. It's more or less the plot of Mortal Kombat 2. Mortal Kombat Armageddon. This game was introduced to be the end of Mortal Kombat as we knew it. Just the story or the series. Answers may vary depending on who you ask and when. But either way, it didn't quite work out as intended, did it? Armageddon was received better than the last, something even more, and it deserved it. So, fun fact about Mortal Kombat. You may notice that literally every game since Deception, I've said, it sold even better than the last one. That's because Mortal Kombat, up until fucking Mortal Kombat 11, has just has been growing. Every installment sells better than the last one. Except for... Uh, ever since MK4. Because I think Mortal Kombat on NES, in terms of just, like, raw sales numbers, I think is, like, number three or four. And all-time sales, because remember, 6 million units. Not fucking bad. Uh, It was received better than the last, selling even more, and it deserved it. The opening cutscene alone was worth the price of admission. It was pretty damn epic. All those characters battling at once, the pyramid bursting from the ground, the reveals of all these different characters you hadn't seen in so long. It was awesome. Has It has every character that has ever been playable in a Mortal Kombat game, and a few who haven't. Including people like Serena, who I spelled her name wrong in this document, whatever. Who, who Serena, was only playable in the Game Boy Advance port of Deadly Alliance. And Shinnok, who had not been seen since Mortal Kombat 4. It has another conquest mode that's pretty great. It's very different from the previous two. It's way better than Deadly Alliance, obviously, and eh, I don't know how I feel. Like, I like it. It's kind of tied in terms of me enjoying it as Deception, because they're very different, like I said. And it's also the only Mortal Kombat game to this day to not have any proper fatalities. Uh, do I cover that later? I bet I do, but... Uh, I didn't. Okay, so yeah, no, pro- there are no proper fatalities. I don't even want- Why the fuck am I having my headphones on? I can't even hear myself. There are no proper fatalities in Mortal Kombat Armageddon. What's a proper fatality, you ask? So you know how in every Mortal Kombat game ever, there's a thing where it's finish him, and you go like 4-4 four, four, down B, 
and then you would let as little it would go dun dun dun, and then you would fucking like rip off their leg and fucking shove it up their ass or whatever. In this game, no, you have create a fatality. Where what it is is every single character in the game has the same little set, quote unquote, of moves, so that the game goes finish him, and then you just hit buttons and do little combinations to do various different attacks to your opponent where it's like okay so it's like instead of just you know down down forward b and then you fucking kill them in a cinematic it's you punch you hit b and you punch them then you do down forward x and you uppercut them and they fly in the air and land and standing up and then you you know down a and you kick them in the balls and then you you know back back x and then you grab them and snap their neck but they still don't die yet and it's just like I remember there's one input where it's reach into their skull and rip out their brain. But there's not a finisher. Like, in the build your fatality thing, you can... Like, there's different attacks. And then you can have... There are certain ones where you finish the fatality. Where you, you know, do something that... Okay, this is the part that makes them dead. Right? Because if you slap them in the face and turn them around or kick them in the nuts, that doesn't kill them. So you reach into their skull... You rip out their brain, and then you keep going. So, and also when I said snap snap their neck, but they're not dead yet. No, no, you snap their neck and they die. Like, that's one of the enders. I misspoke. So, according to Mortal Kombat, if you have your neck broken, you die instantly. If you have your fucking brain removed from your spinal cord and your skull and displaced from your body, that's a minor inconvenience. You can live through that but it did have a cart racer, which was pretty cool. And like I said, MK Armageddon was the best-selling game up to this point. And this game marked the debuts of Taven and Dagon, as well as the playable debuts of Onaga and Moloch. And I don't remember if Shinnok was playable in 4. Let me scroll back to my notes and see. MK4. Yep, all right. He's playable in MK4, I couldn't remember. So yeah, Taven and Dagon. I'll explain what the, who they are in a minute. Uh, they also drastically changed four characters. Who is well, one's kind of the same character, being Motaro, Chameleon, Chameleon slash Chameleon, and Blaze. So Motaro is no longer a centaur. You know the half horse, half man, where it's like the big man torso where the horse's head should be. You know now he's a satyr. Some say a minotaur. No, nah, I say he's a satyr. Because he only has the little front horse legs. Like, instead of his human legs, he's got this tiny little tail. So he looks like a bitch. And they took away the one thing that anyone gave a shit about. Uh, Chameleon slash Chameleon were originally transparent, constantly changing versions of the male slash female ninja sprites from K3. But they're now, like, their whole own race of people. They're technically, like, uh, reptiles, you know? Which are... Now, I know this. I know this one. He, Reptile, is a Saurian. Yeah. So, anyway, they're Saurians. Yeah, also, Chameleon slash Chameleon, they're, like, super, super fucking, like, super minor, barely even exist characters. Nobody cares a shit about Chameleon or Chameleon. Uh, Chameleon, spelled with a K-H-A-M-E-L-E-O-N. 
is the female one. And now she has like big, long, flowing flesh hair in Armageddon. It's weird. But they're kind of cool. They look neat. And Blaze is no longer just a fire dude, you know? He's no longer Cinder from Killer Instinct. He's now a giant hulking demon. Who is also the main boss. I'll get to that. So, the story, right? You know Mortal Kombat, the game that's all about murder and killing and death? Yeah, everyone who's ever died isn't dead anymore. Or never died in the first place. Except for Liu Kang. Uh, Raiden, Shang Tsung, and Quan Chi all just kind of got better, I guess. Liu Kang is back as a zombie. Shao Kahn turns out that he never died. That that was a clone that the Deadly Alliance had killed. Goro, Goro also had faked his death. He's been in hiding this whole time. Uh, Sh- Shinnok is back out of the jar. Just, just don't worry about it. Everyone's here. Be happy. So in this one, you take the role of a son of a god. Not an elder god, just a regular god and a sorceress, Taven. You're encased in stone and told that when your time comes to save the world or whatever, you will be awakened by a mystical dragon named Orin. Time passes and Taven is eventually woken up, but shit's gone wrong. He needs to figure out what and what exactly his purpose was because his parents are dicks and didn't exactly tell him what the fuck he's going to be doing exactly because that's not important, right? Uh, you then go on a third-person beat-em-up style adventure as Taven, along the way meeting lots of actual MK characters that anyone gives a shit about, such as, you know, Kano, Sub-Zero, you play along with the Lin Kuei, you find Frost, who, she did a lore thing, that's why she hasn't been in the last two games, or the last one game, whatever. And you eventually discover that Tagon, your brother, was woken up a hundred years before you were, I think, by accident, of course. And he has founded the Red Dragon, a clan that's not as cool as the Black Dragon, which is Kano's group. He killed uh, him and his Taven's parents, even though Argus was a god. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, Dagon is evil, and you find that your parents had left you god armor that would help fight the man at the top of the Armageddon Pyramid, Blaze! Yes, Blaze. The guy who was fighting in the background of that one stage in MK2? Yeah, he's the ultimate super boss of the entire Mortal Kombat universe. Being used as a living barrier for whoever makes it to the top of the pyramid, being living as a barrier for every for whoever makes it to the top of the pyramid and kills him will gain unimaginable godlike power. So, obviously, you eventually get up to the top of the pyramid and Su Hao has already defeated Blaze and he becomes god. I'm kidding, obviously. You as Taven kill Blaze, and in killing Blaze... Oh, yeah. So you know how I think I mentioned once or twice that the Elder Gods uh, suck, and they're terrible at everything? Uh, So, yeah, when you as Taven kill Blaze, you are granted the power of a god, kind of, and there were supposed to be two things that happened when Blaze is killed. Either A, his... The, his essence was going to go uh, down to the bottom of the pyramid and kill every single combatant that was at the base of the pyramid. Or B, his essence was going to go and strip them all of their superpowers. Which means that half of the cast would just instantly fucking drop dead, and a, the, another quarter of the cast would feel literally nothing because they don't have superpowers, they just, you know, have technology. Like Kano... 
Sonya, Jax. They don't have superpowers. They just have tech and being smart and cool. Anyway, but guess what? There was a third side to that that coin, and nothing happened. Because the other gods are fucking stupid. Uh, by the way, so, quick aside, not a complete aside, it's still on Mortal Kombat topic. All of this has happened, and was happening. The pyramid, the blaze, the trapping her sons in stone, the dragons, the quest. All this happened because, for some reason, the clashing of all Mortal Kombat characters at once was going to lead to the collapse of all of the realms. As foreseen by Delia, which is... Uh, Taven's mom, the sorceress. It's never really fully explained, I don't think, how this giant fist fight was going to end the universe. But, hey, whatever. So, after that fucking thing, and the universe ended, kinda, that really could have ended, eh, whatever. Uh, Mortal Kombat vs. DCU came out in 2008. Uh, this was the last MK game ever to be produced by Midway before their closure in 2009. This was the first game since Deadly Alliance to not feature the variance system, which is probably good considering how the rest of the gameplay went. And one of the, one of the biggest fucking bullet points here is MK vs. DCU was the first time that Mortal Kombat had ever received a T14 rating, as the people that over at DC were not too keen on Scorpion disemboweling Wonder Woman. Which I think that's prudish, but hey, whatever. As well as not wanting Batman to rip anyone's head off. Again, I've seen the new movies. So the fatalities were greatly toned down, and all of the superheroes, specifically the superheroes, were given heroic brutalities. The DC bad guys that were in the game, uh, they had just regular fatalities. Where they would do something that would usually probably kill you, but you just kind of don't die. Like, Superman does a thing where he freezes you, flies up into the sky, and then football spikes you into the ground on top of your head while you're still in the iceberg. And you fall over. And realistically, you would have uh, fucking exploded on impact. But no, you just kind of lay on the ground and writhe because Superman doesn't kill people, even though that definitely would have killed you. Anyway, moving on. The lack of hypervalence was not the only reason that people were upset, as evidenced by the first Mortal Kombat movie. Because that barely had a drop of blood in it, it's still beloved. It was a weird story that was just a weird crossover with weird mechanics in the game, like the fall-down system and the guessing game grapple. The fatalities in HBs were hard to do, like, some in some cases even harder than like the super old games. The lack of any supplemental material, like there was no creative character, there's no mini-games, there's no crypt. Th- those are... That's a big part of the why people look back on this game poorly. Despite what I just told you, MK vs. DCU sold really well, over 1.9 million copies, and had decent reviews at the time. And double despite that, Midway still went out of business pretty soon afterwards due to financial troubles that even a co-branded bestseller couldn't fix. Apparently, however, folks at DC were pretty happy with how everything went, leading to Warner Brothers being the ones to purchase the studio out from under Chapter 11 bankruptcy and official rebrand the, officially rebrand the company, NetherRealm Studios. Hence the name of my podcast. So, the story of this game. Some shit was going down in Mortal Kombat and DC Worlds, respectively. 
Shao Kahn was being a dick, and so was Darkseid. Once they were both on the verge of defeat, they both got stuck in corrupted portals simultaneously. This causes some plot shit to happen, and the Mortal Kombat and DC universes begin to merge together. Actually, they didn't even begin to merge together. They just kind of went, boom. And suddenly they were just together. And it's like literally like there's you walk down a fucking street, and it's like the left half of the street is Mortal Kombat land. The right half of the street is DC land. Uh, this also causes the main characters to be stricken with something called rage. An orange hue that surrounds their bodies and makes them even more super powerful than they were before. From there, you can actually play two unique storylines, one from the DC's perspective and one from the Mortal Kombat perspective. They're both pretty much the same, just dozens upon dozens of misunderstandings and fights while trying to figure out what the hell is going on, ending with a final battle against Dark Khan, the abominable combination of Darkseid and Zhao Khan. When you beat the final boss, if you're playing the DC campaign, you see that Shao Kahn is stuck in DC world, and he is a and then you imprison him in the Phantom Dimension. That's what it's called, right? The Phantom Zone. And you imprison him in the Phantom Zone. If you're playing in the Mortal Kombat campaign, Darkseid gets stuck in Mortal Kombat world, and he is imprisoned in the Netherrealm. Uh, honestly, overall, I thought the game was pretty good. Uh, like, it's, it's relatively fun. A lot of problems with it. <laughs> it's not great in any shape way shape or form but it's good i would say well it's not good if you enjoy mortal Kombat, i'd say give it a shot if you like are a real hardcore like fighting game player like it's it's pretty janky but i'd still say give it a shot so 2008 like i said 2009 midway filed for bankruptcy and is bought out by warner brothers and rebranded so 2011 comes around Mortal Kombat 9, officially just named Mortal Kombat, comes out. It's the first game since UMK3 to take place in a 2D fighting space. Just no fucking whatever acts, no back and forth access, just access, just forward and backward. Not no eight way, just two way. It was as God intended, which was very well received by fans because Mortal Kombat is not Tekken. No more strafing, no more sidestepping, just forward, back, up, down. This was the first full fucking reboot of the series. So this game starts with Raiden and Shao Kahn fighting at the top of the Armageddon Pyramid, where it shows that Shao Kahn was actually the one to go up there and kill Blaze. Not Liu Kang, not Taven, Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn is now ragdolling and beating the absolute piss out of Raiden, and he tosses him aside, and he's like, ah, I'm the big dick OG now. And Rain's like, oh, this isn't good. Okay, I'm going to send a message back to my past self so that he can stop this from ever happening. And that message? He must win. Who must win, you ask? Stay tuned to find out. This is the first con uh, game in the Mortal Kombat continuity to introduce the concept of Revenance the evil mirror images of dead characters, which will go on to be a huge part of the Mortal Kombat story. Where were Revenants before when Liu Kang, like, why was Liu Kang a zombie and not a Revenant in the old games? Shut the fuck up. As far as the game itself, MK9, uh, people really liked it. It introduced a tag team system. It introduced the first ever uh, tower, which have become a 
uh, staple of Mortal Kombat. However, this one wasn't the towers as we know them. It was the 300 tower, which was uh, you you would go through and play. You start at level one, and then you'd every time you would beat that challenge, you'd go up and up and up and up and up and up. And they were like special little specially thought out or created scenarios, right? So it was, sometimes it was just as simple as your scorpion kills sub or you know beats Sub Zero into a fatality, right? Or sometimes it would be like you're Johnny Cage, but you know you're trying to prove that you don't have your head in the clouds, so jumping's disabled and you have to win this fight. And then there was some that was fucking bullshit, like I think it was like level two hundred ninety nine before level 300, which was obviously the final chapter, where it was Goro versus Shiva. You were Goro, and Shiva would just do the the up-in-the-air stomp, where she goes, whoop, flies up in the air, and then comes down on top of you and crushes you. And if she hit that once, you would die instantly. And that was fucking bullshit. I was, you could eventually, you could pay money to uh, to beat that, or to like skip it, but you couldn't. Uh, but uh, if you couldn't beat it, and I couldn't beat that one. I think that might have been the only one that I paid to skip, because that one's fucking bullshit. Anyway, and as I covered in the first, in my previous episode, uh, you get a 300 tower, which was a fucking gauntlet, where you'd fight Goro, Kintaro, Molina, finally Shao Kahn, on one health bar, only getting like 10 or 20% of your health back after every fight. And that was hard. But if you managed to beat it, you would get the ultimate prize. The ultimate prize that anyone who's ever played Mortal Kombat could have ever asked for. Nearly naked Melina. You want to unlock a Melina costume where she was almost completely naked. And not like scantily clad. Like there were two little strips of gauze. One that went around her nipples and one that went up between her legs to cover her vag and most of her butt crack. And that was it. Which was technically a story costume. Play the story to find out more about that. But yeah, so... Teenage boys around the world rejoiced. And Australia fucking banned the game. Not particularly... Probably not specifically for that, but for many other reasons... Uh, for the graphic violence, and it was almost, because of how graphic the violence was, it was almost rated adults only in the States. However, they were able to get it unbanned in Australia, and obviously it ended up not being adults only. This was also the first game to ever have the truly interactive crypt. Like, before, the crypts were just like, you know, uh, pan around, go left, right, up, down, and you would, uh, you could uh, unlock... Uh, not costumes. Oh yeah, costumes and but you unlock you spend money to unlock coffins, right? But in this one, you could walk around the environment, go up and down different sections. You could, you know, go around corners. You'd get attacked by this monster that would scare the shit out of you when you're, you know, fucking playing at two o'clock in the morning with the volume really low because you're you're not supposed to be up this late. <laughs> scare the crap out of you. And there was, like, you could walk around and find secrets. Like, I remember there was one specific part where if you, in the first little graveyard, if you go over to this specific little corner, walk, make a left, and stare, look at this wall, and look down at the floor, if you look down at the wall for, floor for 10 seconds, it would, it would just go, blue. you have unlocked 10,000 combat coins. And it, it, it was great. It was great. Uh, this game also marked the debut of a couple new characters, actually. 
uh, Scarlet, Blood Magic Ninja Lady, and then Cyber Sub-Zero, who was turned into a, a Cyrax-slash-Sector-like st- cyborg for story reasons. This game also had the first two ever, D- not just DLC, but first two ever uh, guest characters being Freddy Krueger and Kratos. Uh, Scarlet was the only totally new non-guest character in the game. She had actually originally started out as a rumored non-existent character based off of a glitch in MK3 where Katana's outfit would turn red. That's actually the exact same way that Ermac came about. Because Ermac is, in terms of like coding wording, is just error macro. And they were red because Scorpion, Sub-Zero, the, the, basically the ninjas, uh, their costumes are default red. They're like a bright red because then that was easier, I guess, for the the software to replace the coloring of. Because obviously, it's not a secret, all the ninjas were the same guy doing the same kind of moves. So yeah, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Reptile, those are all the same dude doing the acting. And then he was just, he wore a red ninja outfit and they would just recolor it depending on which color, uh, just recolor it a- after the fact, depending on which character was supposed to be. Same thing happened with Scarlet. It was the same chick wearing the same outfit. It was, that was just different. They were just recolored after the fact. And she, uh, yeah, sometimes it, if it glitched out, it would show up the wrong color. I think Scarlet, though, she didn't have the error macro thing. I, I think Scarlet was just straight up, it was just Katana, but red. But yeah, so there's a little bit of history for you. So the story of Mortal Kombat 9, or just Mortal Kombat 2011, it's a complete and total retelling of the Mortal Kombat story from MK1 through MK3, with the mystery of what did future me's message mean for Raiden? The message was, he must win, by the way. Nice and vague. First tournament ends with Liu Kang winning. He won, right? Nope, that didn't work. Because he, he, his little, the his magic amulet, Raiden's magic amulet, uh, every time, uh, it's very vague and dumb. But basically, the his thing would continue cracking, his little amulet would continue cracking, every time that somebody won a fight that wasn't the right one, I guess. I don't know. So Liu Kang wins the first tournament. Raiden's like, okay, he must win. Liu Kang won. Oh shit, my thing's still cracking. Second tournament is challenged. Raiden accept. Liu Kang wins again. Still cracking. Mortal Kombat 3. Shao Kahn invades. Loses after Elder God invasion. Same basic thing. Instead of recapping, I'll just tell you the things that were changed. Instead of recapping the whole story, I'll just tell you all the things that were changed. Uh, All of MK1, exact same, to my knowledge. Uh, Thinking... Yep, everything's the exact same. Oh, a little important thing. Uh, in the original continuity, uh, Jax didn't have his arms... Uh, Jax, he got his metal arms willingly. Because in the first game, er, in Mortal Kombat 2, he didn't have robot arms. He just had regular arms. In Mortal Kombat 3, or all, either Mortal Kombat or Ultimate or Mortal Kombat 3, again, seven out... I can just scroll back up. Let me see. Control F arms. Uh, yeah, okay, UMK3 was the, or I guess MK3, whatever. MK3 was when he got his robot arms. In the original continuity, he they were just cybernetic implants that he got to be more better at fighting. 
Uh, however, in this game, in Mortal Kombat 9, his arms are ex- fucking exploded by Ermac. So that's one difference. Uh, at the Mortal Kombat 2 ending, Kung Lao is the one who takes on the challenge of Kentaro instead of Liu Kang. And Kung Lao beats Kentaro, but as he is celebrating, Shao Kahn sneaks up behind him and just breaks his neck and kills him outright. So after that, uh, that's when Liu Kang shows up and he beats Shang Tsung, or Shang Tsung, Shao Kahn. So now, Kung Lao is dead when he wasn't supposed to be dead before. Next, uh, Johnny Cage is never killed by Motaro. Remember in MK3, uh, Johnny Cage was killed by Motaro, who was leading a death squad? And this time it doesn't happen because he is saved by Raiden, who just so happens to be there at the right place at the right time, who kills Motaro, stopping him from ever being a fightable villain ever again. Smiley face. Uh, Cabal's disfigurement is shown to be from Kentaro's fire breath. Because remember, Kentaro didn't die, he just got beaten. During the invasion. Kentaro breathed fire on Cabal during the MK3 invasion. We're in the MK3 part of the game, of the Tori now. Uh, the speed thing, still unexplained. Uh, oh, by the way, so remember the uh, dead wife revived in the realm loophole from MK3? Yeah, that's been changed now. Sindel, now it is Sindel back before she, however her death happened. Uh, that's under mysterious circumstances. She had put a protective barrier, a shield, around Earthrealm to stop Shao from coming in without ever having won Mortal Kombat. And with her dead, the shield was stuck forever. So he recruits Quan Chi to resurrect Sindel, bewitch her, and then have her retract the shield spell so that he can launch his invasion. Because, as I said, so... Because now... Like, like in Mortal Kombat 3, it's like, okay, fuck the tournament. I'm just going in and doing whatever I want. And that's going to lead to something later. Now, instead of smoke being taken away by the cyber ninjas to be cyberized, I just realized I think this part was from Mortal Kombat 2, whatever. Instead of smoke being the one to be taken away by the cyber ninjas to be cyberized, this time it's Sub-Zero. Hence why we have normal smoke in Cyber Sub in this game, rather than where it was reversed in the original game. Another thing, uh, Sindel kills a shitload of people by herself. Jax, Striker, Jade, Smoke, Katana, Cyber Sub-Zero, and at the end, Nightwolf dies killing her. She also had beat the asses of Sonya and Johnny, but didn't finish them off. So she killed a lot of people by herself. Uh, during this whole story, Raiden and Liu Kang had been kind of at odds about the whole message from the Elder Gods and he must win thing. And Raiden has now figured out, or guessed, or whatever. It's like, oh, he must win means that we need to let Shao Kahn win this invasion. Because the Elder Gods suck, right? And they won't intervene until Shao Kahn has... Basically, they won't intervene until Shao Kahn has gone, Aha! I have now invaded and the land is mine! Because once he says that out loud, then they can intervene. Yeah, they suck. So uh, him and Liu Kang and Raiden have been bickering about the whole thing. And now Liu Kang is like, okay, you're saying we just need to let Shao Kahn fucking invade. You're losing your mind. I'm going to kick your ass and kill Shao Kahn. Uh, And Liu Kang gets all fired up with his, you know, chi magic, whatever they call it in Mortal Kombat. And he goes to punch Raiden in the face. And Raiden zaps him in self-defense. But 
his god lightning mixes with Liu Kang's fired up chi thing, causing him to overcharge and burn to death from the inside out and die. So now, there's a fucking fly on my monitor, and now Liu Kang is dead. Uh, after all this, turns out Raiden was right for fucking once. Shao Kahn need, uh, came over, he's like, I am now invading, I have invaded. And now the Elder Gods come down and imbue Raiden with super duper ultra strength powers to be able to kick Shao Kahn's ass. After this, Raiden kicks Shao Kahn's ass, and then the, Ra- the Elder Gods, after Raiden's done the heavy lifting, leaves his body, they latch onto Shao Kahn, and they drag him into the afterlife thus ending Shao Kahn's threat forever, asterisked. So there may have been more uh, differences in the story, but those are the important ones. Again, broad history. Uh, Mortal Kombat 9, what else? Did I, did I miss anything else? Uh, Ken Shi was the only character from the uh, Xbox PS2 era games to make a comeback, because Ken Shi's awesome. He was the blind ninja swordsman with a with a haunted sword. Uh, Quan Chi was in, but he was from MK4, and technically before that. So, that's pretty cool. Ken Chi's, without a doubt, the coolest 3D-era character. He's fucking awesome. Uh, Alright. So, that was 2011. Again, we're just doing a brief broad history of Mortal Kombat. If I were to do a broad history of Injustice, it would take about a minute and a half, because there's only been two games and a couple of comics. And they're doing a movie soon. I'm excited for that movie. So that was 2011. 2015! Mortal Kombat X, the game, is released, as well as the Mortal Kombat X series. I'm an idiot. Mortal Kombat game, X game, and comic companion piece. (laughs) Mortal Kombat X brought back the variant system from the old 3D era games, but gave it a serious overhaul, and in my personal and ever-so-humble opinion, made it way fucking better. Now, instead of changing your combos and regular attacks and leaving your specials, Variants would augment or replace your specials while keeping your combos and regular attacks alone for the most part. Also, you can no longer change the variant mid-match, and there was damn sure no more cross-style combos. Variants were picked before the match started, and you just went from there. So basically, every character was three little sub-characters, and it, was, it, it felt great. Uh, yeah, I liked that a lot. And, th- and that also helped to uh, replace some characters that weren't in the game. Like an MKX noob Cybot wasn't in the game. But then you had Stunt Double Johnny, who he would use his green powers to like make little clones to do shit for him. Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, the game also took the crypt from the previous game and added onto it greatly, making it more immersive, but keeping the keeping the first person walking around the environment feel of it, but then adding a clock coordinates and making it more into like a puzzle gamey experience rather than just walking around. You'd want, but you'd wander around, find tools to get past obstacles, solve puzzles, uh, fend off enemies in little quick time prompts, as well as unlocking all of your loot. It's pretty great. MKX was also the first really mainstream fighting game to implement rollback netcode for online play. Which, if you aren't really in the fighting game community, allow me to assure you, that's a big fucking deal. You know, I don't know if anybody did it first, but I remember in Mortal Kombat, it was a big fucking deal when Mortal Kombat X did it. And it was a big fucking, like, I remember I remember hearing. And also, take this one with a grain of salt, the whole first one. I'm pretty sure they were the first ones. The first major one. Not the first, they didn't invent it. But they were the first, like, 
we're talking like Tekken, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Soul Calibur, Guilty Gear, that shit, that kind of shit. I'm pretty sure Mortal Kombat was the first one. And again, trust me, it's a big deal. This game marked the debuts of Cassie Cage, Jackie Briggs, Takeda Takahashi, Kung Jin, Ferator, Devora, Aaron Black, Kotal Khan, Triborg as DLC, who is the combination of Cyrax, Sector, Smoke, and despite the fact that his name is Triborg, you can also use Cyber Sub-Zero if you were to do a super, super uh, secret hidden thing. And, as well as the playable debut of Tremor! Remember Tremor from fucking Special Forces? The only thing that anyone gives a shit about or remembers from Special Forces? Tremor. This was also, uh, they also guest starred Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, a Xenomorph, and The Predator from, you know, the Predator movies as DLC. And they also added in Tanya and Bo Raicho as DLC. Ain't that neat? So, the story. We pick up shortly after the events of MK9, with Johnny and Sonya leading an army of special forces to attack Shinnok and his army of revenants and demons. In the end, Johnny is able to fight off Shinnok with his magic green power, and Raiden traps Shinnok inside of his own amulet. Shinnok's own amulet, that is. Uh, also, uh, Revenant Liu Kang and Revenant Katana are like the rulers of, out, of, ne- of the Nether Realm now. Not Outworld, the Nether Realm. Uh, from here is the first ever time jump, or first ever major time jump in Mortal Kombat history, where all previous installments had been pretty linear, linear the whole way out. Hmm. Actually, I'm thinking about it. In the Deception storyline, you do have some pretty big time jumps in with Shujinko. But at the same time, that was like with the one character and not much really changed. It was just Shujinko got a little bit older in this part of the game. I'm keeping it. Whatever. Now, after, after all that, that I just described, uh... After they beat Shinnok, we now jump forward 20 years after the ending of Mortal Kombat 9. Uh, as opposed to the first part of the game where it was like a week after the fucking end of Mortal Kombat 9. The realms are now at relative peace, with the exception of Quan Chi and a few others being dicks and wanting to bring Shinnok back. Throughout the story, you find, follow a group who is affectionately co- named the Combat Kids. Cassie Cage, the daughter of, jo- of Johnny and Sonya. Jackie Briggs, the daughter of Jax. Takeda. Takashi. I just realized I fucking Takashi. Takeda. I'm an idiot. Takeda. Takeda, son of Kenshi. Kung Jin, cousin of Kung Lao, as they grow up and learn to work as a team. It has also shown that Scorpion has begun reestablishing his ninja clan, the Shilai Layu, and has made peace with Sub-Zero, despite his... Uh, Despite his apprentice, Frost, trying to ruin it. Also, Frost is in the game. Kinda. Not really. Uh, This is also the game where they explain the origins of Johnny's green stuff. The shadow powers he's been flaunting since MK1. Apparently those are from an ancient war cult that bred him to fight gods or whatever. It can be harnessed powerful enough to to kill a god. But only when you see a loved one about to die. It's kind of generic. It's genetic, rather. Uh, so his daughter Cassie also has the same flavor abilities. Melina, 
meanwhile, Melina, the daughter, asterisk, of Kotal, uh, Shao Kahn, has stolen Shinnok's amulet that, in addition to having Shinnok inside of it, is also like a super, is also super powerful and has like a disintegration laser in it. Earthrealm, who are supposed to keep the amulet safe, go to Kotal Kahn, the new leader of Outworld, to discuss this issue. They end up working with Kotal to get it back, and one of Kotal's henchwomen, Devora, who is like a spooky bug lady, kills Melina. <gasps> the combat kids go to leave with the amulet, but now Kotal no longer trusts them to keep it safe, which is kind of fair. He imprisons them and sends the amulet with Devora for safekeeping. However, it turns out that Devora is an agent for Shinnok and steals the amulet to give to Quan Chi. In the in-between time, Quan Chi has been captured by special forces. While they're getting ready to move him, Hanzo Hisashi, the former Scorpion, attacks with his clan of Shilai Layu. Devora shows up just in time to pass Quan the amulet so he can finish his chant right before Scorpion cuts his head off. However, Quan's chant worked, and now Shinnok is free. Shinnok kidnaps Johnny to make sure there's no more of that funny business with that green shit, and he goes to Earth's Jinsei chamber. What's the Jinsei chamber? It's the life force of all of Earth. Don't worry about it. To corrupt it and become a super powerful demon. Cassie Cage comes to the rescue, stopping Shinnok using that funny business with the green shit. Uh, after Shinnok is defeated and all that good stuff, Raiden is allowed to die, and he is placed inside of the corrupted Jinsei so that he can heal himself and also cleanse it from the corruption that Shinnok put in it with his super god lightning powers. But he ends up becoming corrupted in the process. After everyone else leaves and he takes Shinnok away, he uh, cuts off Shinnok's head and tosses the still-choking head of Shinnok at Revenant Liu Kang and Katana's feet as a warning to stay away from Earthrealm. The comic companion piece was also just uh, was just filler for the 20 years between Shinnok getting trapped in the amulet and the first time we see the combat kids in the story. Uh, a bunch of 3D eras er, characters are there. Cool stuff happens. It's a good read. Basically, the comic Dilgoro knives now. Havoc is masterminding a plan to become a god and almost succeeds. I already went on way too much detail about the actual fucking game, so take that description and leave it. A bunch of 3D era characters are there. Uh, Frost, Reiko is a big deal for some reason. Havoc, I think Tanya's there. Uh, Suhao dies in the first three pages, which is awesome. It's a good read, but it, there's not a lot to it. Like, a lot happens, but the whole thing is just uh, Kamidogu knives, Havoc is trying to become a god of chaos or something, and stuff happens. So, fast-forwarding a little bit more, and Mortal Kombat 11 is released in April of 2019 after the longest and most involved build-up that Netflix has... Netflix. <laughs> Fucking Netflix. The Netherrealm had ever perpetrated, doing streams and videos constantly, announcing characters, showing off new features, and so on and so forth. The first game... This is the first game to have a direct reference to the 1995 movie, having... Carrie Hiroyuki... Hiroyuki... Tagawa reprised his role as Shang Tsung, as well as having the MK theme in the trailers leading up to release. There was much controversy upon release, including complaints of grinding, microtransactions, and the Ultimate Edition, the $100 steel case version, steel cased version, not coming with all the content that people were led to believe it would. This led to a fair critical review, however, fan reviews were still stuck down around the two to three star area, even though the actual game itself was solid and fun. 
Now, after those fixes and despite the release woes, I still won't sit here and to defend and to defend Netherrealm regarding. What the fuck? I must have been tired when I was writing this. Okay, what I was trying to say was the critics liked it, the fans did not. Fans were really fucking pissed. Uh, and like I said in my previous video, but I'll mention it again now, uh, that this release fuckery is why there were like three or four different ver like variants or updates of Mortal Kombat released and sold. Like Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, etc. I think there was at least one more. That's because they don't want you... Like if you're a new person who's like, oh man, I've heard about this Mortal Kombat thing, it seems fun. They don't want you looking up Mortal Kombat 11 on your Xbox or on your computer or whatever and seeing Mortal Kombat 11, 2.4 stars. Fuck this game. Why does it want me to spend so much money? Go fuck yourself. This game sucks. This is bullshit. They don't want you to see that. They want you to see Aftermath that has 25 reviews in the 4 to 5 star range that say, oh man, it's so cool to see Kari Tagawa back as, as Shang Tsung. That's what they want you to see. And again, like I think I I I talked a lot about this on the MK11 or in the first episode. There were a lot of good ideas with MK11 that were done very very poorly. And that's and then there were some that were obviously like studio meddling, like WB went, "Hey, we need more money out of this," you know? Because you, you can tell the difference between shit that the game devs were like, let's do this, and shit that like people who are like, yeah, but can we wring a little bit more money out? You know, it's pretty easy to tell the difference. Uh, the story mode in this one was a little bit was fairly more deep and involved, including time travel, stitching together relationships and timelines and storylines, as well as forging new ones. It became the first uh, Mortal Kombat game to feature multiple different endings. Really multiple, but like two. All this while shitting directly into Kotal Kahn's mouth. But that's a subject for another time. Uh, MK11 has the largest and most interactive crypt yet, being a full-on third-person adventure where you could, uh, where you would have to play the tower story and online verses in order to unlock things, as well as doing tasks and puzzles in the crypt itself. Uh, this was also the first ever Mortal Kombat game to get a story expansion pack in the form of Aftermath, which was fantastic. Uh, this game marked the debuts of Gyrus, Cetrion, Collector, and Kronika as a non-playable boss. Uh, this was also guest starring the Joker, Spawn, Robocop, Rambo, and the Terminator. Uh, Rambo was actually voiced by Sylvester Stallone, while Terminator only had uh, Arnold's uh, face, not actually his voice. They got a, a sound alike. Uh, they also revamped and now fully canonized Scarlet. Uh, it also debuted a revamped and now fully canon version of Scarlet, as well as a cyberized version of Frost. When we last saw Frost in the MKX story mode, she was purely human Luke Lin Kuei Padawan, you know? Uh, this was also the first time that a DC character, the Joker, has ever or had ever crossed into a Mortal Kombat game, not counting MK versus DCU. Uh... And taking into account that Mortal Kombat characters had appeared in Injustice, but this was the first time that a in DC character appeared in a Mortal Kombat. Again, not counting the fucking crossover, because that's a whole different thing. Uh, they got Ronda Rousey to play Sonya Blade, a big hit. 
and it I fan reaction was split. I didn't like her at all. Like she seems uh she doesn't seem like a nice lady. She seems like a bitch. Uh she's a good MMA fighter and a pretty lady. Uh I just didn't she she's not a voice actress. She's just not. She's just not a voice actress. She doesn't sound good. And uh yeah. I also I kind of under the feeling that the studio, I don't know if Ed Boon directly, but studio was not I think Ed Boon actually specific because I forgot. I keep I keep making notes and then commenting about the notes before I get to the notes. Right? Anyway. So Part of why I think Ed Boon wasn't a fan of her and her work either. Again, this is my opinion. I didn't fucking talk to Ed Boon and be like, hey, what do you think about Sonya Blade? Or as Ronda Rousey as Sonya Blade. Uh, ever since the initial announcement, Ed has spoken very little about Ronda Rousey's role in the game. Or what it was like working with her. You might be like, oh, well, what does that mean? Ed Boon complimented and talked deeply about what it was like ta- working with uh, Mr. Tagawa who is obviously Shang Tsung. He talked about was like working with Keith David, who was the voice of Spawn. And he talked a bunch about the actress who played Jackie. And, but despite all that, I don't think I've ever like in there. The Ed Boon did a thing where he was breaking down, you know, uh, the, you know, this character and what they're like and all that. Right. And in, in that video, he talked about how, man, you know, the girl who played Jackie, she's beautiful. She was perfect. She did her job great. Sometimes I like, I'll see her walking around the street. I'm like, oh man, that's Jackie from the game. It's just great and all that, right? And then it's like, yeah, here's Sonya. Yeah, she, uh, you know, she debuted in the first Mortal Kombat and blah blah blah. And you know, we did a lot of cool stuff with her in this game. And yeah, Sonya Blade's really cool. And uh, yeah, next character, like, not once did he mention Ronda Rousey when he talked about Sonya Blade. But he he talked about Tagawa, Keith David, and the actress who played Jackie explicitly when he was talking about them, right? Again, I don't know if... I might be reading into this. I don't know if this means he was particularly displeased with the performance. I don't know if they had any negative interactions. And again, I might just be reading way too much into this. This might... It might mean literally nothing. I don't know. So, the story of the, of the game starts off with the ending of MKX, where Raiden fucking cuts off Shinnok's head. And Shinnok is like... And Raiden teleports away to prepare to deliver his head to Katana and Liu Kang, I guess. And then, suddenly, time stops. And who walks in? Fuck, what's her name? I actually just forgot her fucking name. Kronika. And she's like, this was not... And it turns out that uh, Kronika is the mother of all the Elder Gods. And doing all this research has made me realize, wow, this is super not jive with the rest of the canon. Because if Kronika birthed the Elder Gods, then who made the Kamidogu? And if that was still the Elder Gods, was she before the One Being? And if she was before the One Being, then that goes against the whole Big Bang thing that they had established prior, which was there was nothing, and then poof, there was the one being of the Elder Gods. Anyway, moving on. So she's like, oh, my my son, this was not your intention. 
or that you're meant to do, right? So then uh, they Raiden goes back to the people after, I guess, after the events of the ending of MKX uh, and how they did, where Raiden goes and tosses the head of Shinnok at their feet, and then they put the head inside of a fucking cauldron or whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And man, I've been recording for over two hours now, and it's been it's been a kind of a long day. So I apologize. I'm starting to lose some of my fucking vigor. Um. So wait, Raiden goes back to the special forces headquarters. And is like, yo, we need to go fuck up the Nether Realmers, and the, and Sonya and Johnny are like, but but why? Also, uh, Cassie Cage fucking cunt punches her mom until she gets a promotion. So now she only, uh now Cassie Cage is a general or a lieutenant. Something. She got a promotion. That w- that was the first thing fight of the game. Uh, so then Raiden shows up and is like, hey, we need to go fight the Netherrealmers. And they're like, why? They've kind of leaving us alone. And Raiden's like, we need to strike them before they strike us. We need to take down their palace before they can, you know, decide to attack or whatever, right? That whole thing, because he's evil now. He's corrupted Raiden. He's still corrupted from the end of the last game. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's a great idea. We should go fuck him up. So they go and they... Raid, they raid the castle, and then Sonya Blade gets crushed underneath the remnants of the castle, and then they go back to base, and everyone's all sad. And right about now is when Kronika starts to fingerfuck her hourglass, and time starts getting all fucky-wucky. Uh, evil Raiden disintegrates, and good Raiden from the beginning of Mortal Kombat 1 is brought into the future into an arena where Kodalakan is about to execute the Collector, who is an asshole man. Did I say he debuted? Yeah, I did. Okay. Who is an asshole man who worked for Shao Kahn. Uh, and so a bunch of people from the past get pulled into the future. Apparently, seemingly at complete random. Because there's two Aaron Blacks walking around, one that has a mask on, the one that doesn't, but they seem to do the same thing. It's confusing, it's hard to keep track of them. But then it's also like, Karanka is bringing back people from the past to help her in the present, which is the future, to help her fix the timeline. But then why would why is everybody coming back? But not everybody, everybody, just like most people. It's a fucking mess, don't worry about it. The your evil Raiden's dead because they didn't know what to do with him, and all the other characters coming back, and everyone who died, like uh, good Liu Kang's back, and good and Kung, good Kung Lao is back, and then there's like a cameo from Serena. Wait, that was an MKX, wasn't it? Or was it? Yeah, uh, there was a cameo from Serena and MKX, but don't worry about that. And basically, it the whole thing is a nonsensical war about uh, trying to stop Kronika from resetting the future, or resetting the timeline and killing everybody, even though it is then later on revealed that she's reset the timeline like a hundred times. And the whole... It, it's, the, it's the Asian philosophy, uh, philosophy, philosophy of time being cylindrical or silical or whatever it is where just the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again so it gets revealed that oh yeah no the, the whole 
Like in M- at the M- at the end of MK9 when Raiden kills Liu Kang, that always happens in every timeline times a hundred, except for the time that it didn't happen in Armageddon, because that didn't happen in the old timelines. But according to MK11, that's happened a million, like in all of the timelines. It's a fucking mess. It is the worst example of like the time travel thing that I can think of. The more I'm talking about, the more I'm like, wow, this is fucking shit. This is the worst. Like it, it, it's it's not the worst in terms of like being a bad story or like a bad game. It's just when you actually start to like pick at the details and actually ask any questions or really try to like immerse yourself or experience or like try to understand what the fuck is going on it is a fucking mess it's a fucking mess mate it's a fucking mess it's a fucking mess mate anyway so i'm just gonna ignore all the time travel stuff from now on because okay okay there's a bunch more time travel stuff in the story here's what it is look it's that character don't question why they're here it's fucking stupid don't ask any questions about the time travel because the answer is it's fucking stupid. Don't worry about it. So then Kronika, uh, she's the mother of all the elder gods. And Cetrion, her daughter, killed all of the other elder gods because uh, they didn't want to do what mommy told them to do. And they are all going to, like the good guys and the bad guys are all going to Shang Tsung's island to get Kronika's crown. Because Kronika's crown is the only thing she needs her crown to control the hourglass. Like, completely? It's like she can control her hourglass, kinda, but she needs the crown to do it completely and correctly. Or some shit. Again, don't think too hard about it. So yeah, they all rush to get the crown... Cetrion gets it for her mom uh, after Jackie and Jax suck. Also, young Jax fights old Jax. Also, the whole uh, how young and old the people from the different timelines, how they work, is incredibly inconsistent. For example, uh, Jax. There's a scene where Jax is uh, young Jax is fighting old Jax. And they're beating the shit out of each other. Right? But then later on, there's a scene where Sonya is beating up young Kano, and old Kano's going, oof, oh, oh, my insides. But then wouldn't that mean that the second that uh, old old Jax punched new Jax in the face, old Jax should have gone, oh, my face. But there was one thing that was somewhat consistent, which was if you kill the young version of a character, the old version dies, and uh, Sonya shoots young Kano in the face, and old Kano turns to dust. Pretty fucking rad. Uh, crown stuff happens. They learn. They then, at this point, learn uh, about the whole glass thing. About how the time is cylindrical, and they, Chronica, uh, has doomed Raiden and Liu Kang to, to always fight all the time. Uh, so that they will not fight her, so that she can continue to redo the timeline at her leisure. So that was that's the thing. And then at this point, this Raiden on attempt number several thousand, I guess, gets the idea 
to take his life force, his godhood, and imbue himself slash it into Liu Kang, turning Liu Kang into fire lightning god, Liu Kang. And this time, Chronicle's like, oh shit, that's new. Uh, let's get this thing, let's get this whole uh, hourglass thing sped up. So then she attempts to speed up the hourglass thing, but then Liu Kang shows up and is like, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. And then he kicks her fucking ass, but it's too late. Because Chronica, in the middle of the fight, already turned back time to the Jurassic period. So, uh, or the Parat, whichever one the T-Rex was around. Uh, She already turned time back to that. So, it's too late. Everything's already fucked. But then, Liu Kang kills, uh, what's her face? And then, with him in the power of love, he gets to reach through time and grab Katana. And through the power of love, him and Katana will control the hourglass forever. As lo- And also, Raiden is still, uh, he comes back in this scene. But now he's like mortal Raiden, because it turns out he didn't completely put himself into Liu Kang. He just put his godhood into Liu Kang. Which is weird, that's a thing he can do, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, and then, uh, him and Katana take control of the thing, and then, yeah, boop a dee beep dee boop the end. Uh, there are a couple, there's two other alternate endings, one which is Chronica Kills You, which is super non-canon, because, like, the crests don't even roll, it's just, like, she cuts off your head, and then it's like, try again, dumbass. And then there's, the one I described is if you kick her ass perfectly, if she gets one round on you, you go further back in time, and you don't get. To, and Liu Kang does not uh, meet up with Katana. That's really the only difference. And so, yeah, Liu Kang and Katana are now the lords of time, right? That's that's the ending, right? Nope. Mortal Kombat got its very first ever story expansion DLC in the form of Mortal Kombat Aftermath, which was a very it was super cool. I was hype as shiznit for this. The story goes like this. So, Raiden and Liu Kang, and this is apparently the you lost one round to Chronica timeline, because Raiden and Liu Kang are standing there in front of the hourglass. No katana. When, suddenly, a portal opens up, and out walks Sheng Tsung, Fujin, and Nightwolf. I know he's a big deal in the story, but no one... If there's anybody who Nightwolf is their favorite character in Mortal Kombat, send me a message, I would be very surprised. And Shang Tsung's like basically like, hey, you destroyed the crown, dumbass. So we're all fucked. And Liu Kang's like, what do you mean? He's like, ba 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 ba. Basically, you need the crown to control the hourglass properly. So they need to go in back in time again and get it. From like back before the events of MK11. Again, I mentioned before. Do not ask questions about how the time travel works. It works however they want it to. They don't care. So Shang, uh, Liu Kang rather, decides to trust Shang Tsung. And it's like, okay, fine. Here's the deal. I'll send you, Fujin, Nightwolf back. And you guys will go and get the crown. Right? So they go on a little quest. A bunch of stuff happens. They revive Queen Sindel. While Kotal Khan is still getting his spine fused in the magical healing tube. Shiva's there, she beats up Kotal Khan, because Kotal Khan's a bitch. And they revive Queen Sindel. Now Queen Sindel is back, 
And she claims, like, oh, man, I didn't kill myself, Katana, my beautiful daughter. Shang Tsung, or Quan Chi, murdered me. And this is the thing that really pisses most people off, right? So, and I personally don't care about this, because they change... Here's the thing, I, they change this kind of stuff all the time. So when this change came out, I didn't care. I was like, okay, whatever, moving on, right? So it turns out that Sindel, she was never bewitched. She was never possessed. She was never brainwashed. She actually went willingly with Kotal Khan, Shao Kahn, rather. She went willingly with Shao Kahn. Kotal Khan's dick's too small for Sindel. And she actually helped kill King Jared. And allowed Shang Tsung, or Shao Kahn rather, to take over Adenia. And this is discovered after Sindel goes down into the flesh pits and finds who's there? Shao Kahn! It turns out that Katana didn't kill him in the arena in MK11, that she just gouged out his eyes. And then she did magic fucky wucky. And fixed his eyes, because everyone in this universe that needs it has the ability to heal with their hands. So yeah, basically, Sindel helps Shao Kahn, like, reamass his army. And Shang Tsung, try to be surprised, betrays everybody. He betrays everybody, takes the crown for himself, and he basically kills and betrays everybody. Uh, and moves and takes side with Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn, in his you know big triumphant return, by the way, uh, cuts off Kotal Kahn's head and throws it at the fucking camera as it splurches on the ground and his eyes roll into the back of his head because Kotal Kahn has a small dick. And just so you know, I'm just saying what the Mortal Kombat people are saying. I'm just saying it in words, not actions. So yeah, stuff happens, continues on. Shao Kahn, Sindel, and Shang Tsung all eventually make it into the uh, Labyrinth of the Hourglass. After having killed Raiden and Johnny Cage and all that good stuff. I don't think they killed them, but they beat the shit out of them, right? And this is, of course, where Shang Tsung goes, Yeah, I don't share power. Zoop! And just consumes Shao Kahn and Sindel's souls. And he's like, ah, fuck it, sweet. I've got the crown. I've killed everybody that would oppose me or just crippled the shit out of them. I am now in charge. Poof. Portal. Here comes Fire God Liu Kang. And Shang Tsung's like, ah, shit, right. He can see through time. He knew I was going to betray him, didn't he? And Liu Kang's like, yeah, of course I knew you were going to betray us, you fucking snake. And then, guess what? You pick a side. Do you choose to play as Liu Kang or Shang Tsung? And depending on who you play as, and if you beat the other one, you will get one of two different endings. If you play as Liu Kang, actually no, if you play as Shang Tsung, and you beat Liu Kang, you kill Liu Kang, you become greater than a god. You become the overlord of time. Shang Tsung becomes huge, like a titan, sitting on a massive throne. And Fujin and Raiden are kneeling at his feet, calling him master. And recounting how each and every realm has fought, ha, is succumbing to his influence. And it ends with him all smug. And it's like, excellent. Roll credits. Or, you can play as Liu Kang. If you kill Shang Tsung, 
Then he just turns to dust and goes away forever. Liu Kang picks up the crown, puts it on his head, and he's like, all right, we got a timeline to fix. And where does he go? Well, he goes all the way back to the dawn of the first Mortal Kombat tournament. Kind of. Not the first Mortal Kombat tournament, but the first one with the great Kung Lao. Kung Lao with the hats, ancient ancestor, who was the first one to ever beat Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat and save Earthrealm. And it's just a nice little, who are you? There's plenty of time for that. But for now, Liu Kang puts his hand on the shoulder of great Kung Lao. You need to train. Ba-ba-ba-da-ba-ba, reboot! So, yeah, that is the end of the Mortal Kombat 11 story. And really, it's more the end of the Mortal Kombat 9 and X story. And if you really want to get go reach back, it's the end of the entire franchise's story. Because with the way they did it, if you were paying enough attention, was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 are all canon, being 1 through Armageddon. Then you have a little side stop in MK vs. DCU land, which we don't know where that lands on the canon. And then MK9 is a reboot going from the end of Armageddon. Like, because remember, it starts at the end of Armageddon where Shao Kahn's beating the shit out of Raiden. And then fast forwards, or rewinds, back to the events of MK1. Then MK1 through 3 happen throughout the course of Mortal Kombat 9. Then Mortal Kombat X. Now here we are in Mortal Kombat 11, and we're going back even further. So, a nice little reboot, probably. So, yeah, that is the end of the game's story for now. All right, I'm back. I've got some water. I'm feeling good. 2020 in April, the second ever Mortal Kombat animated movie is released. We don't talk about the first one. Mortal Kombat. Scorpion's Revenge is released, and we don't talk about that first one. Damn it, I made the same joke twice in a row. Uh, the plot is an alternate version of the first tournament, as well as the full story of the murder of Scorpion and his family, the Shilayu clan. Also, his true name is Hanzo Hasashi. So it's basically just a retelling of the story of the first Mortal Kombat tournament, but instead of Liu Kang being the one to kill Goro and go on to fight the final bad guy, it's Scorpion. And also in this case, it is uh, not Shang Tsung being the final, final bad guy. It's Quan Chi. That's because Scorpion has a very personal vendetta against Quan Chi because he's the one that murdered Scorpion's family and clan, being the Shira Layu. And st- uh, he, like, framed the uh, Lin Kuei. In this timeline, that is. In the other timelines, it's like he hired the Lin Kuei to do it, but he didn't wasn't actually part of it. But in this movie, is explicitly shown, actually that Quan Chi basically pretended to be Sub-Zero in order to trick Scorpion into getting real pissed. Anyway, it received uh, Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge received a very positive critical and fan response and made over $2.6 million on home video release, which I don't know what the budget for direct-to-video animated movies are, but I bet that wasn't bad, because they did do a sequel. 2021! Two Mortal Kombat movies are released, the live-action reboot and the sequel to Scorpion's Revenge, Mortal Kombat Legends Battle of the Realms. So, live-action. Phew boy, that was a thing. That was a fucking thing. Possibly 
the most divisive piece of media in the Mortal Kombat universe. I'll give the briefest of summaries as the movie is still pretty new and there's just so much to go on about. Uh, the movie opens with uh, Bihan Sub-Zero murdering Scorpion's family and clan before killing Scorpion himself. Uh, standard Mortal Kombat 1 stuff. Uh, this story, however, is not the story of the first tournament, like many people thought it would be. This takes place before the tournament, but not like right before, like an unspecified amount of time before. The story follows an all-new original character named Cole Young, who is born with a special mark that destines him to join the Mortal Kombat tournament, despite not being a particularly accomplished fighter. Along the way, he meets up with other series characters like Sax, Sax, uh, Sonya, Jax, Kano, and more. He's eventually taken to the Temple of Light hideout where he begins his training to unlock his Arcana. Arcana is how everyone gets their powers. Liu Kang's fireballs are his Arcana. Kung Lao's hat is his Arcana. Kano's eye laser is his Arcana. Stuff happens. Cole unlocks his Arcana. Scorpion comes back, kinda. Shang Tsung is made to retreat. It's not an amazing movie, but it's not too bad, actually. I'd say go see it. I'm betting the sequels are going to be better. The Mortal Kombat 2021 movie grossed $83.6 million in the box office off of a budget of $55 million, and that was just when the movie theaters were starting to open again, so not too bad. The same movie in 2019 probably would have done like $150 million in uh, with fully open movie theaters and people not being scared to go outside. Uh, it also was R-rated, so that definitely hurt because people weren't taking their kids to it. I mean, people shouldn't have been taking their kids to it. The cool kids got taken to it, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, now, the other one, Mortal Kombat Battle of the Realms. That was another this-is-a-fucking-thing style movie. This one takes place after the events of Mortal Kombat 1 slash Scorpion's Revenge. Uh, Shao Kahn wants another shot at the tournament. Raiden accepts. Fights ensue. While it is pretty similar to the MK9 version of MK2 events, in this movie, they focus heavily on the really deep parts of the lore. The Kamidogu, the one being and all that stuff. Honestly, it's kind of hard to explain. I would say just give it a watch. It didn't come out in theaters, just on home video. Because this one, it's just got so much of the weird... It's got so much of the weird shit of Mortal Kombat in it. Like, it's the Mortal Kombat 2 tournament, but then it it ends with some really strange shit. And also, it's just... It's okay. It's not a bad movie. It's just, it's just kind of weird. It's got the really weird parts of the lore in it. And... Last but not least, Mortal Kombat is only spelled with a K because they thought it looked cooler. Boom. There you go. That right there is the broad history of Mortal Kombat. Now, once again, I want to remind you that this is the broad history of Mortal Kombat. I just covered the basics of the entire franchise. I am 100% aware that I missed stuff. I, I didn't even cover The Journey Begins. I didn't mention that Lucifer is canon, but God and Jesus Christ are not. I didn't mention the card game. I didn't mention the existence of a realm of vampires. I didn't mention at all how the realms are actually pieces of the one being who was an all-powerful Galactus-like super god who big-banged into existence and was separated into pieces via the Kamidogu. There's a lot of shit in Mortal Kombat. There really, really is. 
I've been talking for I bl- well over two hours at this point, and I it's the f- I've only talked about the real fucking surface level shit. All right. So this le- this episode will just give you a broad history lesson on the entirety of Mortal Kombat, inside and out. And I feel like I did that. You are welcome. So there you have it. That is the broad history of Mortal Kombat. Stemming all the way from the founders meeting each other, all the way to what we have now. Which, if we're all lucky, we will have something new, a new addition to the history very, very soon. MK12, Injustice 3, I'll take whatever at this point. Come on. So yeah, please tune in to next week. Make sure you subscribe to the show. That way you'll get your fill of Mortal Kombat goodness each and every week. You can go down to the description or the notes and find the link to the official Discord if you want to get up-to-date news, not just on the show, but also on Mortal Kombat in general. Because I search every single day and look around for news, updates, etc. on anything Mortal Kombat or NS-related. NRS-related, that is. And I generally try to pass it along to whoever is interested. So, yeah. And then, of course, there's the Facebook group, and you can also follow the Juxy channel or the YouTube channel if you want to follow along with the video editions of this show, as well as little shorts that'll come in the future, all kinds of great stuff. So, yeah, uh, also, if you don't know what Juxy is, J-U-X-X-I dot com. It's kind of like a, it's a new video uh, sharing platform, kind of like YouTube. So give that a shot. I am. So, yeah, uh, thank you very much for tuning in podcast now what is the outro for this thing and i will see you next time yeah let's go with that